And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Well, good day to everyone. It is another day that we get to put on the Weighing In podcast. We have a lot to talk about. A little bit with 1FC, but we do have the big championship fight in the lightweight division coming up with the UFC Michael Chandler versus Charles Duke Bronx Oliveira. That's going to be one hell of a fight. We've lost a couple of other ones in there. We'll talk about that. There's some other things in the news that I think we should uh, kind of get a little bit of our opinion since God knows our opinion means nothing. But Josh Thompson, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing wonderful, man. We just had a great conversation with the California State Athletic Commission, which we will talk about in the news as well. But first, I want to make sure all of you guys that are just tuning in or you guys are just listening to us for the first time, hit that subscribe button. Also, go to our audio platforms and hit the subscribe button there as well. Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all of them, Spotify. We are on all of them for our audio platforms. Hit that subscribe button. We want to thank you guys. If you're on YouTube, hit the little bell off to the bottom right. Get our notifications. This last Sunday was Mother's Day, so we posted a little bit late because john and everyone else that we all know have mothers and so we wanted to wish them all happy mother's day and we got a little late start that day um so hit that little notification that'll let you guys know when we drop and we drop our midweek show and most of you guys are probably at work or getting started so you guys want to know when we drop that we drop that at different times because it's based off of the the what are they called dave algorithms the algorithms Algorithms. as well as just knowing what we can see when the best times are to drop during that week and from the past week from four so Hey, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications, and thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoy this show. Let's get into the news, man. Let's jump right into no, it. First, do me a favor. Okay. I got to hear this. Let's see if you can do it, because I can't. I'm just being honest. Josh, explain to me an algorithm. I have no damn clue. <laughs> no. Thank you very I don't much. I have a clue. It's something to do with like, I wouldn't be able to explain it. I know what it is, and I can't explain it. No, it's... It's like, how do you explain something that's really not real, but it is, and it's like, oh. It's something that shows data that people watch and listen and tune in at certain times. And that's when we follow that. So we'll okay. drop. Got so it. last week's show, you know, we dropped it at 10 o'clock. I think Dave, you dropped it 10 a.m. Yeah. Midweek show. We dropped it at 10 and, uh, you know, and the viewership was good. So we're going to probably drop it around the same time next week or this week coming up. And uh, it was, wait, today is, today is that week. So tomorrow, <laughs> today is, I keep thinking we're on Saturday. All I know I is that basic, basically it's math. And that's why My we're not good family. with them. <laughs> we're not good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, John, you want to read that? Go ahead and read that definition for us there, Dave. But is there a definition? Can let's you speak it. English, though, please? <laughs> oh, oh, man, let's hear it. Them is a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, especially by a computer. That's okay. the exact definition I would have so given. So that just confused me even more. <laughs> the exact <laughs> definition I would have given. I think mine with math is better. Yeah. Calculations and math, same thing. <laughs> uh, well, as you guys all know that normally listen to us, our true love and support, the And Still podcast, okay? That is us. We are still the goats and the champs. So if you guys continue to listen to us, you know that we'd like to jump right into it. So let's jump right into this. We have one championship is this weekend. So we're going to talk about that first, and we'll get into the other cards after that. But we're mainly going to talk about the main event here is Brandon Vera versus Arjun Singh uh, Buller. Buller. 
uh-huh. and Arjun trains at AK, so I may show a little bit of bias, but not too much because I'm actually ver- really good friends with Brandon Vera. Okay, you go ahead and show bias towards Arjun, and I'll show bias towards Brandon. <laughs> Brandon oh, kicked um, me in the head one time, so we're buddies. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. But Brandon's a great fighter. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's good on the feet. He's got really good jiu-jitsu, which is drastically underestimated. Um, he just doesn't use it. He, he should Never. use it more. I he wish should. He's got phenomenal jiu-jitsu. I mean, he's, this fight is at heavyweight. He's fighting Arjun. Arjun's a good wrestler. He's from Canada. Um, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got a couple good schools up there. Simon Frazier is a really good freestyle school up there in Canada that produces some of the best wrestlers out of the, you know, in the world. Uh, I believe Art Egali was out of there as well as Olympic gold medalist uh, came out of Simon Frazier. And um, back in, I think, 90, I think he came out of there in 97, 96, 97, somewhere around there. Uh, great wrestler. But Arjun also wrestled there as well. And I mean, he's a good wrestler. I've seen him train. He trains at AK. Yeah. Watch him wrestle with uh, DC, Kane, and a lot of the other heavyweights, uh, Todd Duffy and those guys. And sometimes he has success, and sometimes he doesn't. But uh, on the feet is where this fight is gonna he's going to lack. So he'll be shooting from the distance, and he's going to be making sure that Brandon doesn't hit him with those kicks. If Brandon gets to the legs early and often, Arden's going to have a hard time. Just my personal yeah. opinion. Well, you talk about levels to things, and, and there are just levels to Brandon Vera's stand-up and the power that he has in his legs. His kicks are hard. I can attest to it. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Man, he's got heavy, heavy power in his legs, and if he starts attacking the, the lead leg of Arjun, it's going to slow him down a little bit. Brandon is not easy to get into. There's guys that have taken him down, but he's not easy to get into because he is dangerous on the feet, and he is... So much smarter now as far as the way he fights completely. You know, he is just in his element where he's at. You, you talk about that perfect transition. And I know everyone wants to see someone in the UFC, and, and Brendan was. But he is a rock star throughout Asia. You go into the Philippines. You go into Singapore. Brandon Vera is a freaking rock star. There's Manny Pacquiao, and there's Brandon Vera. And right next to Brandon Vera is Mark Munoz. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, if you go there and you see you see him there, man, he, he is in such a good position fighting for one where he's at. He's comfortable there. He uh, He's happy. And when you're a happy guy and, you know, enjoying what you're doing, life's good. And life's good for Brandon right now, and I think this is a good fight for him. Yeah, I think the best thing f- uh, for him and his career was for him signing with one. They've really catapulted him in that area. Um, they do fight. They do have fights in Manila all the time. Um, I've actually worked a couple of the fights when I was working for one. Uh, <clears throat> I worked a couple of the fights and called the fights there uh, in Manila. He is an absolute, an absolute rock star. Can't walk anywhere without a crowd. He lives in a very gated community, like making sure that he is safe and taken care of. I mean, it's and it's a lifestyle. Like I've been to the Philippines a couple times, and it's a lifestyle that. That one could get used to. Just gonna just let you know. <laughs> just gonna let you know. Get used to. Yeah, it's beautiful there. It is. It is uh, humid and hot, but it is beautiful. Um, the people are extremely nice. Very fun. The only the only thing outside of the being humid and hot is, it is uh, traffic is just disgusting there. You oh. know, traffic here is bad. It is disgusting there. It is amazing. Wow. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. The- yeah. They can get anywhere, you know. If they, anyone's never been in a jeepney and seen the people that they can oh. pack into one old jeep. 
that has been uh, extended out. What's great? Or, or what, how many people they can get on one motorcycle. Yeah, well, you know what's great is when you when I see when I was over there, I had seen kids while like you were saying what are they called jeepneys or whatever. But the jeepneys, yeah. yeah, I see kids running after them in the street, and then the other kids grabbing them and pulling them up. Oh yeah, to go to school. And I'm oh, like, yeah. this is crazy. How does this get approved? <laughs> like, this is amazing. But I mean, realistically, it's just teaching kids how to be adults. I mean, you know, catch the bus, do your thing. But it's uh, um, <clears throat> it's definitely a different type of living. But it's uh, it it's fun. I mean, I I when, you know oh, being there, one. I saw I saw a lot of beautiful places, and uh, I've, I enjoyed it. The people were extremely nice. You know, and I've been there several times. Oh, some of the nicest people. Yeah. On the face of the earth. But this overall, this fight though, to me, it's, it's going to be a style. It's going to be whoever can dictate where the fight goes. If Arjun can get him down, he can avoid the submissions. He's pretty good at avoiding the submissions. It's just a matter of whether he can avoid Brandon's Brandon submissions. And I think he's got a good chance, especially as the fight goes on. And Brandon's always been known to slow down a little bit as the fight has gone on. He throws a lot of power, and in doing that, he starts to slow down. Um, He's a great, both of them are great fighters. It's just, I think that Brandon has more tools in the shed to pull out. And I think Arjun's got a chance, but he's, but he's a lot a, older. Yeah, he's got to fight a, a smart fight. And and Brandon, I believe coming off of his loss, right, is the last time he fought to Ong Song Le, I think it's the last one he fought. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the last time he fought. So that was in 2019. That's been a long time. And Brandon is older. So I mean we'll we'll see. I think I think he's gonna come motivated though. He's still the champ at, at heavyweight, and so he's and gonna he wants to keep that. He wants to keep that, and he wants to make sure that he stays on top, and you know keeps living the lifestyle that he's living. <laughs> so <laughs> good stuff on him. But that that fight right there, Dave, tell us the times. I believe it's three thirty a.m. Pacific Standard Time and six thirty a.m. It's, it's on the hour. It's three a.m. Pacific and mm-hmm. six a.m. Eastern on okay. Saturday. Um, it's okay. Six a.m. is okay. I yeah, can do that. Six okay for it, you, yeah. For him, <laughs> three a.m. is not okay for Josh Thompson. Yeah. I mean, I get up around five forty-five or four forty-five and five fifteen, five thirty, normally, but that ain't gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. I'm gonna have to watch it on YouTube or something. We'll figure it. <laughs> Tape delay. <laughs> Don't blame you. Don't blame you. Uh, it's not on TN. It's not on TNT. Correct? No, it's on uh, Bleacher Report. So if you guys want to tune in and watch it, it's on Bleacher Report. So take a look at it there. Um. All right. Well, let's uh. Let's see what else. There we go. There it is. The UFC at 260. Was it 262, right? Uh, yeah, 262. There we go. There's a lot of good fights in here. Yeah. But oh. when you look at the main card, man, there's there's a couple. Edson Barbosa against Shane Burgos. That's yeah. a good fight. That's yeah. going to be an interesting fight. That one, that one should be something where... Someone is not going to make it out of that fight. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the Venata fight versus uh, Grundy. That'll be a good fight as well. A good one, too. And Andrea, KGB Lee against Antonina Shevchenko. That'll be a good fight, too. I like Andrea Lee. She's tough. I'm not familiar. Talk to me. Talk to me, Goose. Tell me. Oh, come on. KGB Lee, you know what? She had... uh, she she fought Invictic for quite a while, you know, under the whole KGB thing, and she's always wears a cowboy hat in, so it's kind of like Donald Cerrone a little bit there with the cowboy hat thing going. But she's just a good all-around fighter. She's fun to watch. She's aggressive. She she never stops in the fight. I think this is a very good matchup for both of them. I think they're very similar in styles, but I do think that 
uh, right now, I don't know. You don't on the ground, play. on the ground, on the ground. I think that they're actually very close. It's going to be the stand-up. Who's sharper in the stand-up? Maybe and uh, Shevchenko is a little bit sharper in the stand-up, but Lee is tough. She holds her own, so it's it's a good fight. It's a, it's a really good matchup. She's pretty good looking. I know I've seen her fight before. I feel like I've seen her fight before. So, can you pull up who who she's fought? I'm trying to remember. Quite a few. I know I've seen her fight. Oh, Roxanne Matafari, Lauren Murphy. I think I saw her Lauren Murphy fight. Yeah, but see, all those are you know decision losses and stuff. Two of them are splits. Yeah, she got she got a decision against uh, Ashley Evans. She had the problem. I, I know she had a problem. Uh, hold on. Hey, never mind. I'm not even gonna say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Marital problem. She had. She was married to a dumbass. How's that? There you go. Love but, that. Well, hopefully she's not married to him anymore. I hope not. <laughs> um, okay, Lana Venata, Mike Grundy, uh, Ray is also fighting. But I like the Lana Venata. Like to me, Lando Venata. I love Lando Venata. He's so fun to watch. Yes, he is, man. He you know? brings it. He's he he's so relaxed in the fight mm-hmm. but and and he'll pull off all kinds of just neat techniques and stuff so he's enjoyable to watch i i really enjoy watching him fight every time he reminds me of like another version of an anthony pettis when anthony pettis was younger a little bit right yeah. he does a lot of crazy stuff that works though you know I mean, his. I'm sorry, but to today, to this day, one of the best fights that I had seen that he took on short notice was his fight with Tony Ferguson. Oh, it was great! I did it. It's awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. It was Sioux Falls, Man. South Dakota. He hurt Tony. Yeah, he, he had him on the ropes. And it was a great fight. I was like, damn, this is. Insane. He just ran out of gas because he, you know, took that thing last second. Yeah, I think it was like what five days. To, it was a, maybe a seven day notice fight. I think. Somewhere around there, yeah. Which basically is no training camp. Because... Well, he had gone into that fight undefeated. Ah, I didn't know that. He had never had a loss up to that point, you know. And uh, I don't know who um, he was fighting for before that, but that was his very first fight in the UFC, fighting Tony Ferguson. Wow, I mean, and that it was, was a main point. main event. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because uh, but... Tony was supposed to fight someone else, and they they got hurt. Yeah, I can't remember who the hell he was supposed to fight, but uh... I can't but it was a great it was a great fight great fight um okay so go back to the card um uh, Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos talk to me how does Shane Burgos get it done <sighs> Shane Burgos in my opinion he he wants to just do what he normally does he's very good in the stand-up just take it out of the kickboxing range step inside of that kicking range make it so Edson Barbosa is now fighting you without the use of the kicks that he normally likes to use in a fight, step inside of that range and just start getting after it, man. Do the things that you do. You're good with your hands. He's also good with his kicks, but I look at it. I think Edson Barbosa is probably better with the kicks and you take away that element of him. His, his boxing is not as good as his kickboxing. And so I'd put Edson in that, that realm of, I don't see Shane actually taking him to the ground and trying to use, uh, you know, ground and pound or submission. He could, but he likes to stand and bang. So my whole thing, if you know he's going to fight him, is just don't be in the kickboxing range. Push it more towards a boxing range. Make it to where the kicks are kind of taken out of the equation. And I think he can do very well. 
Yeah, Edson's boxing is based around his kicking. Yes. So everything he does is off the kick. Uh, and his boxing is, if you put him in that boxing range, he's not as tight with his stuff. He also, his arms tend to blow up. I mean, they did at 55. I haven't seen him box too much at 45. He's been out for a little bit because he was having some contract stuff, I believe. He just resigned recently. And you know how the UFC does their contract stuff. They know you're on your last fight and you haven't resigned. They drag that shit out until they think you maybe need money and you're forced to resign. Well, so he just got done resigning. And he seems like he was happy. I thought there was a chance we may get him at Bellator. I was pretty stoked to see if maybe that fell through well he had, he had that, the fight against uh americani yeah where they you know they and that's that was the kind of fight that the ufc likes to do when they're you're not mm -hmm. just signing the contract oh you're a striker i'm gonna put you against someone that i think is a pretty good striker and a good wrestler mm -hmm. someone that likes to take people down and let's see how you do in this fight and you know he responded he, he, he got that win you know so that was a good thing for him yeah but, We'll see. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, in terms of with him, he as long as I think uh, Burgos, like you said, stands in the boxing range, puts the pressure on him, makes him fight off of, makes uh, Barboza fight off of his back foot, he could probably have some success. Yep. He doesn't need to press him to the fence and dirty boxing, but he needs to make him fight going backwards. When Barboza is standing in the center of the cage or walking you down and throwing his kicks and kicking range as well as setting up his hands. He's nasty, you know, as when you got to kind of be cautious, too, of his knees because he's got good knees when he decides to throw them. He doesn't throw them as much. Uh, but remember his Dariush fight where he was able to knock Dariush out with the flying knee. But, but his technique is so sharp. It is. It is. It's, it's like, here, you want to see you want to see good technique? Here, watch this guy. Yeah. 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 He's he's phenomenal. He is. um He's, he just he's a fool he's very, and he's gotten a lot harder to take down he's gotten a lot harder to hold down right like i was saying in that boxing range though he tends to his his arms and his everything starts to get heavy he fills up with blood pretty fast i feel like and then maybe it's i don't know i don't know maybe it's the way he trains maybe it's the it almost feels like he just starts to slow down with his power and his in his speed as the fight goes on if you stay on him and make him fight on his back foot so uh, it seems like everything gets heavy for him after like a round and a half, you know. Um, so if if you can do that to him, he's got a good. I think Burgos got a good chance of of, of uh, getting the win. We'll it's gonna see. be a good fight. Great easier, matchup. Easier said than done, John. Very much. Yeah, isn't, isn't it always easier said than done? Yes. Yeah. Um. What else? What other uh, fight? Let's, let's talk about Tony Ferguson. Oh, Michael Chiesa. Boom. Look what? at that. Michael. I just had blow up of the brain. Michael Chiesa. Yeah, Lando Venata took over for Michael Chiesa. Michael oh, Chiesa got hurt. Okay, okay. Just got it. Just I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> hey, John, tune me in next time you want to. Well, all of a sudden, we, we said, let's talk about Tony Ferguson, and like, boom. I was like, oh, that was Michael Chiesa, because that was, you got to figure, that was going to be two of guys that had won tough that were fighting, and that fight fell out. God, it got it. Dave and I looked at each other like, "What the hell is John? What the hell is he talking about? What is he talking about?" Well, you know, it was it was there. I kept trying to think of it and I couldn't. Okay, got it. All right. Well, let's get right into the the two top fights. You've got Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush. I just gonna be a just a, just a barn burner of a fight, man. Barn burner of a fight. Well, how does Dariush win this fight? 
I think I think I think that he beats him on the feet, stuffs the takedowns, and I think he avoids all the submissions. Darius is very good on the ground. You just oh, he's really good on the ground. Stand, and I think right now because of the two fights, his fights coming up. Darius is coming up, and Tony's kind of going down a little bit. I do want to say this: Tony's losses have been with no fans, and Tony feeds off of the crowd. Yeah, that might make a difference. I don't know. Who knows? I mean. It's a strong possibility. John, help me out. I, I love Tony, man. People think <laughs> I love something against Tony because we fought. He beat me and cut me all up and stuff. And I'm like, no, I like the guy. I love watching the guy fight. And I, I want I want, to ha- I want him to have success, you know. Um, but I think they're at different stages right now in their career. Dariush is exactly where Tony was at 32 years old. He was making his rise to the top. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Tony's kind of where I was when I fought Tony is like on the way down a little bit. And so it's, 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 I hope he bounces back. I think it'd be wonderful if he bounced back. I want him to bounce back. I definitely don't want him to take the type of punishment. He took the last two fights though. You know, that's the, that's the thing. Like, I mean, he's, he's, he's really good. Tony's really good, but Darius, I feel like right now is on the rise. He's on his way up. He's confidence is key. How's Tony's confidence after the last two fights? Uh, he doesn't seem like someone that lacks the confidence, but he didn't seem the same. I didn't feel like I saw the same fighter against uh, Charles Oliveira that I saw being motivated to fight Justin Gaethje. And the Justin just just had his number, man. And so since then, it hasn't been the same fighter. I, does he bounce back? What do you think? I don't know. I really don't. It's uh, It's one of those because of the fact that he's getting older. And I, I, I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but it might be that that speed... Tony was never that super fast guy anyways, but you know, just his ability to get inside, the elbows he would throw, the way he would do things, it flustered guys, it created problems for him, and his pace was something. And, it just, and not only his pace, his unorthodox style in everything that he does. He's just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he'll break into a role. He'll do all kinds of different stuff. You know, he does w- weird things because he doesn't mind giving up positions and things like that. But some of those positions have cost him problems in his uh, fights, you know, his fight against Charles Oliveira. I look at it and, and you know, Darius has not faced, I want to say he hasn't faced the level of competition that Tony has. Yeah, you know he's got a really good record. He's he's faced good fighters, and there's certain fights that I look and I go, man, he looked great in that fight. And then I look at who he's fighting and I go, yeah, uh, but I think Tony would look great in that fight too. So the real question for me in this fight is they're both great on the ground. You know, Benil is just outstanding on the ground. His standup has gotten way better with Rafael Cordero and King's MMA and what they've been doing with him. But he throws from odd angles. He uh, sometimes leaves himself very open. Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm being good here, man. For once, I'm being good. He leaves himself open. And Tony is very good at stepping inside of that range and landing heavy elbows, spinning elbows, things inside. So for me, the thing that I look at the most is pace. If Tony can do what Tony has done in the past and bring a pace, I think he can push. I've seen uh, Benil get tired at points. And 
when you get someone tired, they start to slow down in everything they're doing. Their offense starts to, you know, become negated basically by the fighter themselves because they're worried about being pushed over that edge and they're trying to grab air. And so if Tony can, I know Tony's going to come in shape, if he can push a pace and just be successful in forcing Benil to be uncomfortable with the pace, I think Tony gets the win. Yeah, I think I, I would say yes to that in a five-round fight. I don't know if I'd say yes to that in a three-round fight. Yeah, and it's that's very true, and that's why I said he's got to push the pace. If if he can't make it an uncomfortable pace for Darius, I think Darius wins the fight. So it, it's a very good matchup, you know, and it's really because Tony's coming off of a couple losses. What's up here? You know, he's he's a he's a tough dude. I'm not saying that in any way. I love him, but anybody that's coming off of two losses, I don't care who you are. There's those those little you know thoughts that start going in your head, and, and you, as soon as anything starts to go bad, it's tough to push that to the side and say you know it doesn't matter and just keep going. Tony can do that, but like I said, anybody starts to get those thoughts, and so if things start to go bad in any fashion, is he going to start thinking, "Holy Christ, it's happening again," and things and the and the wheels are going to start to come off of the cart? Uh, I think Tony is. Uh, mature enough had enough experience that you know he'll he'll keep himself together but this is a toss-up fight it really is yeah i think he's mentally strong enough to push through that but what yeah. concerns me is the amount of damage he took in both those last fights and at the age that he is you just know that fighters don't recover physically and mentally as much from those type of fights the Justin Gaethje fight sent the tempo, and then the Charles Oliveira fight, that was more of like the arm being hurt. There was a lot of positions there. He was in tight positions for submissions that he snuck out of, but was like pushed to the limit. Yep. It's the, that your body's not the same. Your body doesn't respond. Your head needed more time to recover after the Justin Gaethje fight. Oh, uh, the Gaethje yep. fight. He took, yeah. he took an incredible amount of damage yep. in that Gaethje fight. You know, And this is when, you know, when we talk about you know, sometimes fighters leave bits and pieces of themselves in that cage. Tony left a large chunk mm -hmm. in that cage that night. When he walked out, he walked out with less than he walked in with. Yeah. You know, and I, it, I, look, uh, I got to tell you guys from personal experience, my first fight with, with Gilbert Melendez, I walked out of there like unscathed, a couple little marks. My second fight, though, I literally had to sleep sitting up because I, I had to sleep with a neck roll pillow in the couch because my head, I couldn't put it down. I had so many lumps all over my head. It hurt to put my head down. Not to mention every time I put it down, I felt like I was getting a headache. So I couldn't do it. I had to sleep for three nights with a neck roll pillow sitting up on my couch. The third fight, um, I felt like it was one of those fights I left I left a piece of me in there. At the, for the second fight, I was still young enough. I just didn't feel like I felt anything. But by the third fight, I was 34, I think, years old by the time I fought his thir the third fight, 34, 35. And I felt like I wasn't the same guy after that fight. And then, sure, yeah, I had success against Nate, but Nate didn't hit me really at all. You know, and it was, it was a very smart game plan on how I fought it. But I always knew that I took that game plan against Nate because I stole it from George St. Pierre and I stole it from Carlos Condit on how they fought him and a little bit of Benson as well on how they fought the Diaz brothers. But... You, I wasn't the same, I think, after that third fight with Gil, and that led into the way I started fighting after that. I was never the person, like when I fought Benson, I was never the person to, 
to stay on the outside and stick and move. And I know I hurt my thumb and my wrist and all the other stuff, but it just, it changed the way I fight after the third Gilbert fight as I stood my ground and just circled on the outside and picked, I was picking and choosing my shots. Whereas before when I was younger, like Tony was like, he would just come forward and do whatever. It didn't care about the results. And are we going to see that same Tony? Because now those last two fights have taken a lot out of him. You know, whether he believes it or not, mentally, I think he's mentally strong. You know, I mean, when I got into the fight with Tony, mentally strong, look at, there's no doubt I, I got through the whole fight. Like the amount of damage I took, a lot of fighters were just turned over and tapped. And we've seen it countless times where they just give their back and give up a submission. I mean, there was time, there was plenty of opportunities in the Kimura where I could have just tapped and gave up or any other situation where, you know, he had me in a submission or, and he was elbowing my head. I think one was like almost in a triangle. It was elbowing the shit out of me and cutting me up more. And I could have gave up at any moment, but mentally tough is where Tony's at. So if I want to give a comparison, you guys, I'm not trying to say that I am Tony, but I'm saying we're at that same kind of age and time frame in which Tony was, is fighting right now is I was 37 when I fought Tony. And mentally tough, I was able to push through, but your body's not able to do it. You know what I mean? And I had coming off, was coming off two losses like he's coming off now. We're almost in the same exact spot. You know, yeah. and he was, I believe, 32 when he fought me. You know, it was around that 32 years old when he fought me. And look at where Darius is now and look at where Tony is now. This is very similar. This is very similar. So damn eerie. It's crazy to me. It really is. <laughs> I mean, you know, so when I talk it's about just it, the I'm truth, talk, it's I'm just, just what to, happens. I want people to understand. I know exactly like I don't just try to relate it in terms of like, hey, see, I told you so. I'm just trying to say like this is during this time that we've talked about Cowboy Serrano, we talked about Diego Sanchez. I give you guys a lot of feedback on, hey, when I knew it was time to retire. And guess what? Today, Alan Jobon, he retired. You know, and Alan Jobon has just talked about like it was just time. And I think he's pushing that 37 as well, 37. He's 38. 38. So 38. Th this is kind of, you know, nothing against Tony. And I, I, like I said, I want him to have, be successful. But it's this is after two fights like that john it doesn't matter mentally how strong mentally you are your body is just not the same and that's that's well, it just doesn't it doesn't respond the same way it's it's you know mentally you're there and you're telling yourself you know i'm, I'm good and you're you're going with techniques they're just not responding as fast or as powerful it's just there's just a degree two degrees off of what it used to be and that's the difference of winning. When, when you're talking about fighting a world-class fighter, we're talking about, you know, not even sometimes 1%. We're talking about, you know, a half a percent difference makes a huge difference in the fight. Yeah. And that's, we're going to see if that, if that's where Tony's at at this point in his career. We'll see if the crowd makes a difference too. Cause he is someone that rises. Yes. It, that is a big factor. Yeah. Let's get into this main event, buddy. <laughs> oh. it's a great main event i love this main event i think it's i mean the lightweights overall in the ufc it's a stacked division it's got so many good fighters and i and it's you could replace these two guys with two other ones and it would still be a great you know championship fight I, I love the, I love what you know the UFC is doing as far as bringing this fight. I think it's a smart one, uh, you know, especially with since they have the uh, the Connor versus uh, Poirier trilogy fight coming up in July. 
but this is a this is a pick 'em fight. Either guy can win. Both have their strengths. Both have you know elements that they're better at than the other guy. The real question is, can you put that guy into your world instead of him putting you into his? I just don't honestly. I just don't see how Michael Chandler loses this fight. Oh, look at you. You know, I mean, I, I said months ago, I said, like, stylistically, the submissions would be there for Charles. But does he have enough strength of one? And two is Chandler has fought a lot of really high-end jiu-jitsu guys. I don't know if any of them have been as high-end as Charles Oliveira and as sneaky as him. I know, like, Marcin Held is good. Goichi. Uh, Goichi Yamuchi, good. You know, very, very impressive, very good. But... Were are they were they quite like on the level of Charles Oliveira? But in that other in that other aspect, to me, Marcin Held and and Goichi are bigger than him, than Charles Oliveira. Maybe not as tall, uh, but they're thicker. I think they're just a thicker. They're they're they I feel like they seem like they're physically stronger. Go, Goichi is thicker than. Uh, yeah, I would say both are. You're right. Yeah, they're they're both like thicker yeah. guys. They're you know maybe pushing around that maybe an inch shorter or something like that. Well, you got to figure Char- Charles actually used to fight at one forty five. Yeah, I know. That's what my point is. My point is that when I'm getting to that is that Charles he came up from forty five. He I don't feel like he's a very big fifty five pounder. I think he's had a lot of success because he is he is very talented. He's very good. Um, Chandler's got to be very careful of the submissions. He can't take any of that stuff for granted. But I don't see him trying to get this fight to the ground. I see Chandler keeping this fight on the feet the whole time and just touching him up with his power. I think one of the things, somehow, I'm not sure if it's part of it or not, but somehow I think because the, you know they have one common opponent. If you go back and you look at the records and everything, and their one common opponent is a guy that Michael Chandler lost twice to. Will Brooks and uh, Oliveira uh, choked Will Brooks out in the first round, I believe. Mm-hmm. So if you you know you look at that, Oliveira is looking at that, and that's giving him confidence. That's making him feel good. I'm not sure that he should be looking at it that way. You know, I don't know if that's uh, Michael's a completely different fighter as far as some of the things that he does now than what he did back then. The physical strength of Chandler is going to be the real problem, in my opinion, for Oliveira. Physically, Michael is strong. He's got, you know, he's got a great work ethic. He's got he's a, got a super strong core. Uh, he does take damage, though, you know, and he does show damage. And you know, Oliveira is a he's a good striker. Also, don't just look at his submission game. He's got knockout power. He's, he can piece you up. He's got, you know, technical, technically good striking. And if he could keep Chandler towards the outside in the striking realm and just start to put shots on him, he could do well against Chandler in the stand-up. And if it gets to the ground, obviously he's got a great submission game. But Chandler has proven that he's damn good with submission fighters. He's got, you know, a lot of wrestlers... Um, when they get on the ground with a good submission guy, they tend to hold and not move their hips. Chandler doesn't do that. Chandler moves. He keeps you in position. He doesn't allow you to get those angles that cause him problems. And he's got a very heavy ground and pound. And I don't, 
if it gets to that point where it's becoming a ground battle with Chandler on top and Oliveira going for submissions underneath, that's not the way for Oliveira to win the fight. Yeah, absolutely not. And I completely space Brent Primus. Brent Primus is a savage on the ground, and he's yep. extremely big. Way bigger than Chandler, way bigger than Charles Oliveira. Yes. Probably walks around about 205 and makes 155. <laughs> he is enormous. I don't know how the guy makes the weight, but he's phenomenal off the ground. And we've seen him in, I've seen him in SUG. He's armbar Jake Shields, guys like that. He's had mm-hmm. great matches against other top black belts and other top jiu-jitsu practitioners in just grappling. Yep. And Chandler was able to weather those submission attempts as well during their second fight. And so to think that Charles, but that's also what I what I think with Charles is if he's going to catch Chandler, he's going to catch him in transition. If Chandler shoots and leaves his head in the wrong position, he's going to hit him with that guillotine and potentially get Ch- not Chandler, Chandler to panic, but it could be slapped on quick enough to where Chandler has no way of escaping. I could see that potentially happen sure. or some sort of like in a scramble. He's able to transition to the arm bar real quick. And that's it, not going to happen. It just catches Chandler off off guard. That's yeah. the only thing I can think of because Chandler does tend to, he does tend to posture up and and throw heavy shots, and he sometimes will leave himself out of position because he is trying to throw heavy shots. Yes, and so um, if that happens, Charles is very good at his transitions. They're very quick, they're very fast, as we saw with Tony Ferguson. And once it's on, he's good at getting to that point. He's a finisher. You know, we've seen that before in the past. He wasn't able to finish Tony, but it was close, a second or two away. You know, and so Chandler's a different breed, I think, when it comes to defending the submissions, and he will not tap for shit. He will go, basically, I believe he'll go out before yeah. he does that. And uh, he may even let, maybe possibly let the arm break. Who knows? But, I mean, there's a lot of things in there that he will be able to try and attack because Chandler is overly aggressive sometimes. So Charles got to catch him in transition. That's the only time I see him catching him. In terms of grappling, I think yeah, if he gets to his back, Chandler's very good at risk control. He's very good at pulling the arm aside. He does his little spin out of there. Oliver is a, be- a next level, though, of getting to the back and attacking from that position. But I really believe I've seen guys figure for Chandler and him still be able to spin within their body. I almost yes. feel like his his gut and his waist is bigger than it, it is. <laughs> so it's he, blocky. Yeah, he because just, he's got a very strong core. He doesn't have that bodybuilder looking you know waistline he's got that crossfit waistline big heavy core that's very strong and he's it it works for him and like you're saying the 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 one submission that i would look and say this is if if olivera gets a submission win in my opinion it's going to be a guillotine yeah michael sticking his head to the side on a takedown something or you know you could be olivera landing a good shot and michael then shooting you know with his head in position grabs the guillotine and he has got a very good guillotine arm in guillotine both of them uh he knows how to apply that pressure and he's good with it so yeah the other thing is uh he's got charles oliver has got the skinnier arms so it's (laughs) it gets underneath that chin it's gonna be a little bit harder to get out of there i mean strength wise but as long as he's got the proper technique it can, it can happen fast, and that's yes. the thing. People think, like, with Brent Primus, he's got big forearms. He's a big guy. You know, Yamauchi, same thing. Big forearms. He's got thicker upper body. You know, in terms of Marcin Held, that's more of leg locks, knee bars, things like that, and that's something that Chandler was able to wiggle out of here and there. But, I mean, there was a couple scares there in that fight as well. If, if Oliveira, you brought up Will Brooks. If Oliveira's taking that fight and trying to compare that's the common opponent, that's a huge mistake. I huge know. mistake. And the reason why like you were to touch on what you were saying will brooks is nothing like 
Charles Oliveira when it comes to fighting. Will Brooks is a mover, a sticker, a mover, and outpoints you and make you look bad. But he's not going to go out there and put the tempo on you and try and put the pressure on you and try and, and go after you. He was he was able, he was faster than Chandler. He was a little bit more athletic than Chandler, and he was able to touch him and get in and get out and stuff the takedowns as well. So he also had Chandler's number. I don't think, I think, and like, like we were talking about is Chandler's a different place now in his life in terms of where he was then. Uh, the confidence is not, you know, confidence is key is, is in every sport, but in this sport specifically it is. And he, I think right now Chandler's right on a high. And so I think, I, I don't know if, I, I can't see, if it goes, if it's within the three, I see Chandler getting the finish. If it's outside of the three, it's going to be Oliveira. Mm. It's going to be a close <laughs> one, though, because Chandler does slow down. Charles does two at 45. I haven't yes, seen him does. slow down. I haven't seen him. He hasn't fought a five-round fight at 55, I don't think. Well, he hasn't made it to a five-round fight. Okay, so I haven't seen him fight a five-round fight at 55. Is he the same fighter at that weight class? That's uh, Chandler. That's not – I'm talking about the other one. Oliveira. Has he fought a five-round fight at 55? Well, I know his, his uh, Keith Lee uh, fight was a five-round fight, but he didn't go there. He's only been at 55 for a couple fights, so. No, so he hasn't. So he's gone three, three, and one. Yeah, so in terms of, like, if he gets in, I know he did slow down at 45. Was he cutting too much weight, and that's why he was slowing down? Might have been. You know, and so when you get into that part of it, will he have a lot more energy than Chandler? Chandler's been at 55. He cuts a lot of weight himself. He does slow down. We've seen it countless times. He slows down at, in in four in rounds four and five. But he's got a he's very dynamic in the first three rounds. Yep. <clears throat> Michael slows down on people that can push the pace on him. That 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 meet him on those those occasions where. He likes to come out fast, and they, they kind of start off with him. And as you know, you know the, the thing that Oliveira has to do is when Michael disengages, when he backs off, when he takes the step out and does his little bounce, don't give him that space. Don't let him, give, don't let him have the bounce. That's him taking his breath. That's how he gets himself back collected again. Press him on those. Don't give them to him. Yeah. Yeah. Benson had the right idea. He just wasn't able to execute it in their last fight. You know, he had the right idea in terms of like every time Chandler stepped back to press into him and like him, make him work. Don't give him a chance to take his deep breath and get his and recoup himself. Um, in the, the first one thing fight, that Chandler's really put into his tool bag, though, that we got to talk about is he's got that switch step now where he takes a step and he'll throw the right hand, but he slides his foot in. So his left hook is set up. So his hips are aligned with a big left hook and it closes the distance for him. It doesn't look like he can reach, but when he takes that switch step, now it puts him in position where he can reach and he's gotten very good at it. That's how he, that's how he knocked out Benson and that's how he knocked out Dan Hooker. So that's been working for him. So that's something that Oliveira really has to be careful of and has to look for. Yeah, when you do that switch stance, uh, Rockhold used to do that quite a bit into his left, into his right hook. So what you do is it actually closes the distance like you were saying, but you can throw the the loopy hook off of it. It is how he caught um, both of them, Chandler, or not Chandler, but uh, Benson and Hooker. That's how Chandler caught both of them. But he could also throw a straight left. So if they do step back, at least he can still slide in to cover the distance with the straight left as well. And he's got to make that decision, though, depending on how his opponent moves and which direction they go. Do they move back or do they move circling away from the power? So what it's doing is it's creating 
that backhand, which is normally not his power hand, now it's a power hand. So it's making, it's, all he's doing is switching his stance, and now he's giving more power out of that straight left or that left hook. So it's as if it's like another right hook or another right straight right. So it's give, generating that much power from a switch stance. As long as he knows how to throw it, which apparently he does. <laughs> so, I mean, overall, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not counting Charles Oliveira out, but I, I am leaning a lot towards Chandler. You know, um, I, I think if Chandler does get in trouble, he can wrestle. He can, you know, he can compose himself. We saw that's what he did against Benson. And when if he's not in trouble, you know, he can keep it on. He keep it at keep it at bay if he wants. And he he creates the distance and he steps in with his power. Charles is going to have to respect his power. There's no doubt about that, you know. And so if he doesn't respect his power, he's going to be lights out. And people, I think, underestimate how explosive Michael Chandler is in those first two rounds. That would, that would be a bad mistake. Huge mistake. But the key, though, to me, honestly, is if Charles Oliveira throws a ton of kicks towards that calf kick, and Michael Chandler has had issues with that, if he does that, knowing that Michael Chandler probably is not going to try to jump into his guard right off the bat or try to take him down right off the bat, I mean, I could see, I could see him having some success, some success with the calf kick, you know, in the earlier rounds, which will lead, which will pay dividends in the dividends in the fourth and fifth round. I, so, yeah. I was gonna have to reboot you there. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell you, same thing. I was like, he's mumbling. Yeah, I'm stuck. what is up? Talk, I'm talking too fast. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So it's 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 there, it's there to be had, but can he get it done? Yeah, it's, it's the real question. They, they, They've both fought great competition throughout their careers. So you can take a look and, you know, people will say what they want. Chandler has fought everyone. He had wars against Eddie Alvarez twice. He's, yeah, he's had some great competition. Same with Oliveira. This is a, it's an even matchup going in. You know, I think Oliveira has his strengths. I think, you know, he's got the length a little bit on uh, Chandler as far as height. He probably has a little bit more reach. He's got the submission game. Chandler's got the wrestling game. Chandler's got the power. I think uh, Charles has got more of the technician style in the stand-up. Um, but this is, I can't wait for this fight. It's going to be a fantastic fight. Well, John, boom, that's a great segue into our mybookie.ag, mybookie.ag. We're gonna Are go we weighing in on the odds? We're going to weigh in on the odds, you guys. Damn, I love doing that. Use the promo code Wayne in for a little extra cash. Uh, you guys can bet on this fight. You guys can bet on that fight and the Tony Ferguson and uh, Darius fight, as well as all the, the rest of the card. You guys can bet on these. Uh, and we're going to give you guys our analysis of what we think would be best for you guys to to bet on using our promo code Wayne in. You guys do that. MyBookie.ag will give you a little extra cash. You guys can spend on it. So let's go ahead and break this down. Michael Chandler is the underdog at plus 105 against Charles Oliveira, minus 135. It's close, but it's still, you know, I would take Chandler. Just my personal opinion. I would take Chandler. Especially, it says, the over at two and a half. Well, he's he's the underdog and over at two and a half. So it's I've not underdog. No, understand. The over two and a half is plus 130. So if you say it's going to go over two and a half, you put down $100 to win $130. Mm -hmm. Okay. At under two and a half right now, it's minus 160. So the odds makers are saying that this fight will not go 
over two and a half rounds. Yeah, if it's Michael Chandler. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. Well, if if you're looking at it that way, then you take the plus one hundred five. You put you know, put a hundred dollars down to win one hundred five. Hello, that's, yeah. That's Michael Chandler right now, and I, I'm I'm in this type of situation. It has nothing to do with if Oliveira was the underdog. I'd put the money on Oliveira because I, I was, you know, looking at a fight that either guy can win. You can sit there and say you always go with the underdog, but I think Chandler's got a very good chance of winning this fight, coming out on top, using his power, using his wrestling. Plus one hundred five, not a bad bet. Yeah, I would take the Chandler bet as well. Plus one. I am, I am surprised by the Tony Ferguson Benil Derouche odds though. Why? Derouche, is Darush is the favorite at minus one seventy. Well, Tony I guess an underdog. I guess my bookie has been paying attention to our podcast <laughs> because that's kind of how I would have it. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say whether the number is is adequate for it, but I mean, it's uh, plus one forty for Tony Ferguson, minus one seventy for Dariush. The over is minus one sixty, and the under is plus one fifty. At two and a half. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that plus 150 at two and a half, because this, this fight could end. It could end with a submission. It could end with a knockout. You're looking at Tony saying nobody's finished Tony really except Gaethje in the fifth round. Um, Oliveira didn't finish him, even though he was damn close. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I would go with the finish. I, th- I think it's going to go the distance. I don't either. Yeah, I would go with the distance. Yep. It's going to be the over. It's going to be the over uh, two and a half. It's going to go the distance. Even if, even if Tony or I just, I don't see, I don't see it. I think it's going to end up on the feet the whole time. And I think it's going to go the distance. They're just going to beat the shit out of each other. (laughs) That's really what it's going to go down to. (laughs) But I think at the end of it, Darius is going to be the one uh, that gets his hand raised. Just my opinion. Like I said, it's going to be hard for Tony to come back from those two really tough fights that he just he lost you know recently had so that to me that's why i'm leaning that way um let's go edson barboza is plus 100 and shane burgos is minus 130 burgos is the favorite i don't know he is i know saying right there (laughs) that's what it's saying i know you i know you're going i don't think so but that's uh hmm. do you take plus 100 for uh Barboza. I like the way Shane Burgos fights. I, I love I love Edson Barbosa as a fighter, but certain matchups, I, I don't know. Yeah. Ooh, it's a tough one. <laughs> oh man, I'm so pathetic at this now. Oh man, I mean it's it, honestly it's kind of a pick 'em fight on how which style you like, but. Um, do you think do you think Burrow's going to just make it a boxing match? Do you think he's going to just step in and try and get after him? I do, because he's a smart fighter. His coaches are smart, and they know where Edson is dangerous. Why are you going to play? Why are you going to play another man's game? Why are you going to stay on the outside with a guy that on the outside he's as good as anybody there is in that weight class? Hmm. Is he not? No, he is. Okay, so is. why are you going to do that? Why are you going to play that game? So it tells me that Burgos is going to say, ah, 
I'm going to put you on your back foot. I'm going to put pressure on you. I'm going to crush the space so your kicks are taken out of the equation for the most part in this fight. And I'm going to make you fight the way I want you to fight. That's with your hands. He's not the greatest boxer type, just, you know, stand-up fighter when it comes to just using his hands as he is when he's able to utilize all of his tools. Do we see a motivated Edson Barboza because? Money doesn't make a difference when 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 you're fighting. Come on. You're happy that you're making more money, but it doesn't make you a better fighter. This is true. But it does help with your confidence, which is very good. <laughs> well, it makes you feel good. And you're happy while you're there. <laughs> oh, so you're taking, taking Burgos at the minus I'm taking Burgos on this one. All right. All right. I'm going to decline on answering because okay. I'm not sure. I'm leaning towards Barboza. I'm leaning towards Barboza, though, just to be honest. All right. Well, it's a close, you know, and this is where I love when it's that close. Mm-hmm. Plus 100 or minus one. That's basically you're, you're, you're picking the guy you think is going to win the fight. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it. Well, that's our weighing in on the odds. Those are the three fights that we would probably bet on if we were going to do it. I did technically didn't really bet on the third one. But uh, if, if you guys want to take John's, advi- John's advice on the third one, you guys go right ahead. But I gave you my two cents on the other two fights, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, that's our weighing in on the odds with mybookie.ag. Use the promo code weighing in, and uh, they'll give you some extra cash to bet on these fights. That is for your very first initial deposit, by the way. All right. Well, let's get into some news. Um, well, first, I think John wanted to touch on the fight that fell off, which was oh. um, Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards, which is actually only pushed out till next month. Yeah, yeah. The, a lot of people are talking about that fight like it's, oh, you know, there's, you know, Nate is, is trying to, you know, stay away from that fight. No, he's not. <laughs> Things happen. Injuries occur. You know, sometimes they're, you can't can't handle all the things that life brings you so i just want to say hey that fight's coming up it's okay it's kind of good it's going to be on another show so leon edwards dynamite fighter i do think he's the favorite in that fight but nate diaz didn't just back out of that fight there was a problem and he's dealing with that problem and he's going to be healthy so what do you want to see a guy who's not healthy and can't perform or do you want to see the guy at his best that's all I was hearing some stuff. It's like, you don't know. If Nate Diaz wanted to back out of the fight, he would have never signed the contract. He's someone that kind of calls his own shots. He wanted, that, he wanted that fight. The reason why he signed the contract, because he was he was willing to take the fight. Because he knows if he wins that fight, he can jump the line and potentially get a title shot and make more money. Hello? He's not stupid. He knows exactly what his worth is now. He's got to capitalize on it the best he can and make as much money as he possibly can. And he's doing that. So let's just leave him alone. He's not someone that backs down from fights. We know that. And uh, when when was it that he backed down from a fight? Exactly, exactly. If he doesn't want the fight, he won't entertain it. He'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'll see you later. He doesn't. He won't. He would never have signed the contract if he didn't want the fight. So he's willing to do it, and we all know why. He's he's trying to jump the line and make more money, which is brilliant on his part. Him and his brother do it, and they made their career off of it. I think it's brilliant for them to do that. <laughs> Tip my hat to those guys, man. I wish I was them. <laughs> when it comes to that type of shit, it's true. Uh, what else you got for us? Um, so jumping into some news, uh, Dana White did an interview um, with ESPN, and he talked about if they um, if they can't get the Jones and and Garnier fight, the the possibility of Jones versus Stipe can happen. I don't think so. 
I'm sure Dana would, would you know, say, yeah, we'll, we'll put on that fight. It, it's a good fight. I'm not saying it's not. I just don't think that that's... Jones wants money, and he knows he's not going to get as much money with Stipe when is not the champion. And he wants the champion, and he wants the money, and I think he's going to try to ride this out, you know, and, and get people and public opinion and pressure put on the UFC to do something that they both come to an agreement. Again, this all comes down to this. And Josh, you've been in this situation too many times. Promoters are trying to get you for the cheapest amount they can. That's their job. That's how they make money. The fighter is trying to get the promoter to pay them the most money that they can get. That's their job. And that's how they do their thing. And that's what makes them happy. Eventually you got to meet somewhere in the middle or the fight will never happen. So both sides are going to have to, you know, acquiesce a little bit and make it to where everybody feels at least comfortable with what's being done. And then the fight will happen. But it's that no one's ever going to get exactly what they want. The promoter's not going to get exactly what they want and the fighter's not going to get exactly what they want. The only reason why I think maybe this will happen <clears throat> is stylistically it's an easier fight for John Jones, I think. Just my opinion. I just think um the why st- why stylistically when is a much better wrestler? I agree. Than Francis. But he's not he's not a better wrestler than John Jones. I didn't say he's a better wrestler than yeah. John, but he's a be- much better wrestler than Francis. And technically, you know, take away the power, he's technically probably a cleaner stand-up fighter than Francis. Yeah, but I think I think Stipe will have a hard time with his athleticism. And the things that John will bring to the table, he's going to have a hard time dealing with. That 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 thigh kick, that'll be a problem. The length of him will be a big problem. I think his reach is, is going to be longer than Stipe. He's going to be able to touch him, keep him at bay. Stipe is not as fast as John Jones. I think it's going to be, it's going to be in that. No. Come on, think about that, dude. Think about that. No, I don't think so. It, look, it's not even if they're even if they're the same. Even if they're the same speed, let's just okay. say they are. Let's just say that. I'll say they are. John's longer. Not much. Can we pull up there? Stipe is six foot four. No, reach, reach wise, six John foot five. Okay. Yeah, I would say that. Look, John's got a freakish. Uh, Eighty-three. Reach. Eighty-four. 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 Inch He's reach. got what? crazy. I would say Stipe is somewhere around seventy-nine to eighty. I think that big, huh? Yeah. I would bet. Um, so John Jones reaches um oh, eighty four and a half. Eighty four. Um and Stipe's is eighty. So four and a half inches. Uh, it's not that much, man. That's enough to make a difference on whether it gets to the target or not. Speed Could, do me a favor, pull up Alexander Gustafson, see what his reach was. Oh goodness, trying to spell this. Just put yeah. <laughs> That's true. You spell this? Uh there it is right there. There it is. Lucky. You got lucky. Yeah, got it. It Gustafson. Uh, 79. Okay. Who's the guys that have given John problems? Dominic Reyes. Yeah, the guys Gustafson. that are long. The guys that are long. Guess yeah. what? They're this, that's what Stipe is. I don't look at it that way, John. Maybe I'm I wrong. Do. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, but um, I think 
I think the Stipe fight is an easier fight for John than than the than the Ingano fight. No, don't get me wrong. I think John could take him down, you know. But John's got to get in there first. <laughs> that's that's the scariest part of it all, right? That is the scariest that's part. The scariest yeah. part of it all. But and, then again, if you're not if you're not a little worried by that, you're not that bright. Yeah, and we've also seen that you know Francis got a little bit better at stuffing the takedowns that we saw against Stipe. I, look, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm not here to bash on Steve Bay. I'm not. Yes, you are. You no, do it consistently, uh, all the time. Ask our followers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask them. <laughs> Don't ask, ask them. them. <laughs> so I'm not here to bash on him. I just, I think the the John fight is an easier fight. I think Fran, I think Steve Bay, if if he was to fight Francis again, I think he's got a good chance of beating Francis. You know, but I think John just he just brings out a, a ton of tools that are just dangerous. For him, the athleticism, the reach, the knees, the spinning elbows, those are things that heavyweights are yeah, not. Yeah, but he doesn't uh, have all that much power. Okay. Well, we don't know either at heavyweight if how much power it, it may oh. change, but you've got to go with what you've seen. And it, it, this is not saying anything, you know, bad about John, but power has always been the one thing that you can look at throughout his career and say, oh, he's more of a volume guy. He goes yeah. after someone with a lot of techniques, a lot of volume, a lot of things that add up that, that beat someone down, and then he gets the knockout. Mm-hmm. So he's not that one-punch guy. And so I look at this fight with Stipe, it's a lot more dangerous for John than I think you're giving credit to. I think that Stipe will do very well against John. For I'm not saying that John can't beat him. He definitely can. He's that good. But Stipe can beat John. Hmm. Okay. That's I mean- my opinion. No, I, look, when we're talking, like, like you had said earlier, we're talking maybe a fraction oh, of a percentage. Little, little, yeah, little tiny bit. Guys are, and we don't know what to expect from John Jones. Will he have the same conditioning at heavyweight that he had at 205? Will he have the speed? Will he have the Car- speed? Carrying I've seen more him, weight. I've seen him hitting mitts. He doesn't look like it. You know, <laughs> so I saw a video of John Jones hitting mitts, and I was like, please tell me that's not full speed. It's full speed. Okay. You know, so... I, there's a lot of things that I've seen that I, I don't know. There's questions to be answered. But I think if I look at him at 205 and I look at Stipe at heavyweight and I say the two things together, I'm going to give the advantage to John. And it's not – I'm not – I know I'm not trying to take anything away from Stipe. <laughs> for the rest it's the of our podcast and the rest of Stipe's career and even after he retires, I am going to say that you are dogging him. I am not. <laughs> I'm a Stipe fan, man. I'm a Stipe fan. I'm a Stipe fan. Huh. I love the guy. He's just he's just a good person, man. I mean, he's, I, he's, he's blue collar. Yeah. To answer the question, though, no. I don't think that, that Dana's going to be able to get that fight done, though. I don't either. I don't think so. Not that and I, I'm going to say not that I don't think Stipe would do it. I, I don't think John's going to do it. No. Because it's just not the money he wants of the guy he wants. I could be wrong. Next piece of news is um, Scott Coker saying that um, the next Grand Prix will likely be the Bantamweight. Um, Has to be. And so we got the Bantamweight division right here. Has to be. You could take a look at that Bantam, and even there's people that are not uh, even on that list based upon they haven't competed at a certain. Even, you know, Darian Caldwell, who should be on that list, is not because he hasn't competed at Bantamweight in what, the 15 month period or something like that. Or Gucci. Horaguchi's another one. You have got, you know, if you're going to take eight, you're going to be dropping out a really good fighters in there. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to drop Cast Bell out of there. 
Well, yeah, but he's nine already, so he's already out. Yeah, so he'll drop out. Um, I think you'll probably drop Lugo because he's still kind of a little bit inexperienced. Okay. Um, but then you're going to put in Horiguchi and Darren Caldwell, so one of those else is going to have to go. Somebody else uh, in there is going. Leandro Higo is fighting coming up soon. I'm trying to remember who he's fighting. Gosh. He's Darren gonna... Caldwell. Darren, that's right, Darren Caldwell. Hello. Gosh. So uh, that fight is coming up, so that will kind of de- determine, I think, kind of where they're going to sit. But, yeah, I, I can see that that tournament probably starting sometime around December. That's a, That would be a great tournament. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I, mean, think, I think, to me, I feel like this is, outside of the 45s, I think this is the next stacked division, the most stacked division in Bellator. We've got the 35s, we've got the 45s, and then you... Light heavyweights are pretty damn good. I didn't say they weren't, but... <laughs> I didn't say but they we've weren't. lost a couple. But we could actually, we could actually make this. I mean, if we wanted to, we could dig deep. We could make this, you know, because guys like Lugo and Brian Moore, and we could make this into a sixteen-man tournament. It'd be a little watered down at the top, yep. but uh, but like I said, you know, we don't have as many fighters as the UFC. We know we've got three hundred something fighters on our roster. You know, UFC's got over six hundred. So you know, but we could we could do a tournament, a sixteen-man tournament. I think there'd be some. Water down maybe the top, you know, the say 15 and 16, somewhere, you know, 14, 15, 16. But it doesn't mean that those ones there at the top couldn't make their way at least into the into the semifinals or the quarters. So I think it'd be something to be had. But I, I like to keep it to eight because I think those would be the best fights, to be honest. You know? Yep, I agree. But overall, yeah, it has to happen. It has to happen. Great fights, too. Um, next piece of news, um, just coming out a couple of days ago, um, Anthony Johnson was arrested um, following his fight um, at Bellator 258. Um, there, there was some, re- so the report basically came out and said, uh, according to police reports, um, uh, it was an illegal use of a credit card in November 2019, um, and I guess it, you know, it looks like it just caught up with him. <laughs> <laughs> John, you used to be a former. You're a former cop. Yes, sir. Sir, and uh, have I seen this type of thing before? Yes, sir. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> what is what is this usually related to? Man, you know, I I hate to say it, Anthony, you have this thing with women. <laughs> you piss them off because you find other women. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I really think that what's what's occurred here is, uh, Anthony used a. Uh, I don't girlfriend, say, girlfriend, you want to say associate, whatever you want to say, but used uh, the credit card of somebody that then found out, or you know, maybe he even bought bought the ticket. You know, and hold on, this is the whole part. He bought a ticket with his name. Do you think he was trying to steal from somebody? Yeah. You don't buy a ticket with your name if you're gonna if you're gonna, you know. Steal someone's credit card and buy, and use it fraudulently. You're going to be doing it so no one can associate you or put you with the crime. So there was no intent to create a crime there. You can tell that by the fact he used his name on a plane ticket. You had to show your ID, by the way. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I think somewhere along the way, this has to do with a uh, crime of... Uh, not believing you're doing a crime and pissing someone off and there being some type of uh, broken heart associated with it. And so my way of getting back is I'm going to say that, you know what, you used my car, my card fraudulently and you shouldn't have done that. And what did they really have? Nothing. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that aspect of it all too much, but um, I know I know AJ pretty well, and knowing that he just made an obscene amount of money for his last fight, why? And and just knowing that he has made plenty of money before in the past, he was making really good money from before when he was in the UFC, and he is still he is involved in all kinds of things, all different types of other things that are generating him money now. Okay, which and, which only would make me go, AJ, why are you using someone else's credit card? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on. I understand that. Um uh, but like I, I would have to agree with you. It probably has to do with some sort of, you know, vendetta towards broken. Yeah, but he pissed somebody off. Yeah. But regardless, look, I know that he's not a thief. I know he doesn't need to be a thief. He's got plenty of money. And like you said, why would you use show your ID as well as use your real name if you're trying to use if you're trying to cause you you're actually crime. trying to get away with a crime. Yeah. You wouldn't. That's, doesn't make sense. sense. All right. Next piece of news is Dan Hardy asking for his UFC release. Um, he says he wants to fight in Japan. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I okay. Hold on. Let's take a look at this because let's... I mean, this is where it gets absolutely crazy. Ridiculous. The fact that the UFC or anybody, be it if it was Bellator, be it if it was PFL, what, that they could hold your contract because you retired. Now, they could fire you from commentating. They can fire you from the promotion, but they still have the right to your fights and, and you can't fight anywhere. That's just wrong. You know, If they're going to fire him in any fashion from the organization and he's not going to be part of them after you know this whole thing with you know upsetting somebody over uh whatever it was and then releasing him and saying you know no no more commentating stuff then he should be able to go anywhere he wants and fight now here's the question is he was sidelined from fighting based upon a heart condition you know they're not going to check for that heart condition in japan So is it something that we want to see? Because the last thing I'd want to see is for Dan Hardy to be in the fight and have some type of heart condition problem uh, pop up in the middle of the fight. That would be horrible. So I wouldn't want to see that either. But no one should have the right to hold on to somebody in that fashion once they've let you go in another way. It just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Um the reason why they do that is because he he was a former contender. He did, I believe, he did fight for the title. Correct. Yep, fought GSP. Yeah, GSP. Um, it's because he was somewhat of a name in the organization. They don't want him to go off and lose, and just give notoriety to the other promotions. You know, that's just my. That's the way I feel about it. I think that's what we've seen history that they try to hold on to you as long as they can until there's really no value to you anymore, yeah. and you're. They know that like no matter what, it's been so many years since you fought in there. Now people have kind of forgotten that you had fought there, and then you can move on. Um. I don't know. Just to be I honest, don't <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I would like I, if he, as long as he's healthy, I, I would like to see him fight again. You know, and I think I think you are right that they should not be allowed to um, hold your contract for forever. There should be a term limit on the end of it. Let's say like, okay, look, if I haven't fought yes. for you for five years, if I haven't fought for you for five years, I should be released of this. Yeah, because you're talking about if someone hasn't fought in that amount of time, it's not like they're giving away their career. Five years? Yeah. 
you, they should be able to walk away and go wherever they want. His last fight was in 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're talking eight years, nine years now. Come on. He should, there's no way anyone should have the ability to hold on to the right to him and he can't fight somewhere else. No, sorry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Free Dan Hardy. Free Dan Hardy. <laughs> the outlaw. Free him. Free Dan Hardy. <laughs> and I, just look at that. Crazy. Last piece of news before we jump into some fan stuff. Um is Dana saying Dana White coming out and saying that uh, he'll give Cowboy one last fight at lightweight and that's kind of like his fight for survival fight. Okay. <clears throat> well hold on. is it fight for survival because he's gonna just give him the one fight and if he loses he's done, but if he wins he gets another one? So that was kinda what it was alluded to. Yeah, it's like this is make or break, you know, you, you lose this fight, you're gone. You you know, otherwise we see what we see what's a up. fair assessment. I mean just being Dana, let, let's be honest. Dana owes Donald. Yeah. Donald has been there for Dana White and the UFC how many times? How many times has he said, yep, when they called? Sure, yep, I'll do it. Yep, I'm in. Hmm. He doesn't say no. That's what leads to the situation where Dana White goes, I'll give you one more. Yeah. <clears throat> Makes sense. Well, the next bit of this, right? The other half of this, Dave, yep. is the the picture that you said. Yeah, so there was kind of this like circulation that was uh, going online where it was showing like a side by side of uh, Cowboy's lost his last six fights, um, and then Woodley coming off of a title loss, uh, lost four fights, um, and so like just that comparison of like, you know, Cowboy wasn't a champ, has lost six fights, and here we are with getting another opportunity, whereas Woodley coming off of a, you know losing the title, um, only lost four fights, and and here he is getting cut. Okay, so John, you just said, the, you said the answer right there. Yeah, it's real simple. You have one guy who consistently says yes, sure, I'll do it, and you have another guy who consistently was a headache for the promotion. Consistently said no. Consistently said I want, and there, that's just your difference. It has nothing to do with. Oh, one was a champion and one was it has to do with the difference of the word of yes and the difference of the word of no that's really the difference here yeah dana came out i think publicly once or twice and said that Ty- tyron woodley's probably the most difficult champion he ever worked with <laughs> okay there you go that kind of says it all yeah i mean but then you know the week later they were in a baseball game together or a football yeah game. that's fine. i mean I mean, <clears throat> he was that. That's Dana trying to smooge him, trying to get him to sign a contract, which means at some point in time he said no. Yeah. Whereas Donald Cerrone has never done that. Even when there was title implications on the line, they called up Donald and said, "Hey, do you want this fight?" And then Donald goes out there and he fights and he loses. Now he loses his chance of fighting for a title. Yep. You know, and it, it's happened to him several times. He was like one or two fights away or one fight away from a title shot, and he went and took a fight that was like a ten, you know, a two week notice fight, and just. And, is, and then ends up losing, he ends up losing his chance at fighting for a title. I wouldn't go as far to say that he owes Donald, but I would go as far to say, like, it, it's nice to see Dana saying, hey, you know, we understand what you've done for the promotion, and we're going to go ahead and keep, continue to do this for you. Just got to show me something, buddy. 
I think there's a yeah. lot of pressure right now on the UFC to say, hey, these older guys, now with the Diego thing going on, Ooh. that we need to start keeping an eye on them because they will fight until fucking forever, you know? And and we don't, and now it's getting to the point, what are we, 25 years, 26 years into the UFC? Is that my correct? 26 years? 26. Oh, yeah. 20, yeah that's 27. How that was, uh, 27, 27 28. Yeah, so we're into those years now where now fighters have left the sport for long enough to where we're seeing the... The after effects of how athletes are physically, mentally, all those things. And so I think now it's starting to hit home a little bit with the, with the Dana and the other promoters as well. And they need to they need to start taking care of that situation maybe a little bit earlier. And that's that's kind of I think where Dana's at right now is like, Donald, show me something. You show me something and I'll keep giving you fights. But you don't show me anything. I got to wrap it up, buddy. And so I think he is doing them. He's doing them a solid by letting him fight at 55 again. And seeing if he can get it done. We'll see. Depends. We'll know if he's doing a solid or not based on how damn good his opponent is. There you Who's go. Opponent? Is he giving him a top five guy? Is he giving him a top ten guy? Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, who is he fighting? And then like who is he gonna have him fight? Is he gonna give him a young young and up and coming guy that's gonna beat him and get him out? Or is he gonna you know, like what is he is he trying to build a young star off of him? We're gonna see. Is he doing him a solid? That's what we're gonna see. So I don't know when you say doing him a solid. Gonna give him a fight. Yeah. Not doing him a solid. He's. Uh, I mean, he could have cut him. <laughs> he could have cut him, but you know, Donald makes pretty decent money. Yeah. And any time that a guy makes a lot of money, I didn't say anything about that. <laughs> but any time a guy makes pretty decent money, they don't like just giving them a fight. That's true. All right, um, so uh, we do have a guest coming on today, but we'll do um, as much of this fan um, question slash stuff that Josh gave me um, okay. as before, we, <laughs> before we get to our guest. So, slash that I gave you. <laughs> so, um, Josh, here is one that you handpicked, um, and this is, actually, I don't have a name attached to this, but um, he starts off um, with and still, and then he says, is my every morning go-to, uh, at work feeding plants and big john real punk keeping it real every week is 100 can you guys drop some news on this younger audience that is listening on just how good bj penn was when he was top of his game a young motivated uh beats all these guys with respect to the newer generation a motivated bj penn is a hard night out 100 um I, i'll get to i'll get to bj is i think a motivated bj penn a young motivated bj penn i think he gives almost all of these guys in this division especially in the 155 pound division right now a hard time when you get to the khabib fight he has a hard time you get to the i think the islam fight he has a hard time when you get to i mean i would maybe even say no, because of the stand-up. I was going to say maybe like a Gregor Gillespie only because we just saw the, just the wrestling pedigree, all the scrambles, all those things. But BJ was so slick, so flexible, so talented on the ground. Even with top wrestlers, he just the flexibility himself, they couldn't get to him. Look at Matt Hughes, tries to grab the leg, he circles to the back real quick and gets the choke. I mean, top-level wrestlers had a hard time with him. It, it poses some threats, but all the guys that he had, had always had a hard time with, guys that could just out-wrestle him and hold him down because he his conditioning was always a factor, you know? And so guys like Khabib, guys like Islam, don't have conditioning, and they're big. They're big guys. The generation is different because BJ was 
Sure, he was a bigger guy as he left the UFC at 155 and then came back at 170. He was a bigger guy because he just didn't like the diet. But when he was making his run to the Jens Pulver fight, his you know his coach Javier was actually taking him to to go to go do his cardio and stuff, and he didn't hold his hand for the apparently didn't hold his hand. This is what I was told. He didn't hold his hand for the the Jens Pulver fight, which was remarkable to me based on the fact that it was a title fight. But he didn't hold his hand throughout that whole camp, and it showed in the fight, you know. But someone who is uh, explosive, as explosive that BJ was, it's it's a tendency to sometimes get tired, you know. You see it with other fighters that are um, that are explosive, like like BJ was when he was younger. So, do I think do I think he beats everyone? Possibly not. But do I think he poses a threat for all of them? Absolutely. First off, when BJ just just go back to when BJ came in. You know, his, uh, his first fight in the UFC, I think it was his second pro fight ever. <laughs> it was against uh, Joey Gilbert. Yep. And uh, Joey was a good grappler. You know, Gilbert grappling was big in the Midwest and stuff. And uh, he came out and just annihilated Joey Gilbert. It was his first was, pro fight ever. Was that his first pro fight ever? Yeah. Joey Gilbert. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, got his back and just started landing shots. I did his second pro fight, which was against a remarkable fighter in Dean Thomas. At the time, Dean, Dean Thomas was one of the top lightweights in the world, if not number one. And uh, just did a couple of you know things. You know, got into an Uma Plata situation, which no one really knew what an Uma Plata was at the time. A lot of people and stuff, you know, that's way back a long time ago. And uh, just pulled off a couple of different things. Hurt Dean, you know, got the win there. Came out and starched Cal Uno in 11 seconds, I think it was. And that was his first three fights. He just he just was just this machine that, you know, he never got out of the first round. Then he came up, he got a championship fight against Jens Pulver. And, you know, I did that fight. And he had Jens, and this is this was the part where, you could see it because he had Jens in an arm bar. I believe it was the second round at the end of the second round. And it was tight. He had it and bell goes off rounds over and I go to break it. And, and Jens actually taps him saying, Hey, let go, you know, cause he's got pressure on it. And, uh, that right there, BJ was done. He clicked out on that. It was, I had it. It should be over. It's not, I got to continue on. And you could just see a shift in him in that fight. And he got tired and, uh, but he lost that fight, but then went on this incredible win streak, you know, beating all kinds of guys and, and good guys beating, you know, Matt Sarah was the fight he had and Takanori Gomi. He did that in rumble in the rock. He had all these great fights and would fight anybody at any weight. You know, he even went up and fought Leota Machida. If you remember that, mm-hmm. so he was special. He was a fast twitch muscle fiber athlete. He did get tired if you were able to push him. That's how George St. Pierre figured out how do you beat him. You push him. You make him work. Um, George had two wins against him. One of them was controversial. The second one was no doubt. And uh, But you know, when BJ was on top, he was phenomenal. He, he unfortunately ran into a guy named Frankie Edgar. And even when, while he was 
kind of still at the top of his game. Frankie Edgar just had the style that gave him fits. He was a guy that was a real fast motion fighter, a lot of movement. BJ liked to set his feet and throw heavy shots. And Frankie Edgar just volumed him, volumed him to death. You know, just hit him with a lot of shots and never really got into a grappling match with him or anything like that. He would, you know, get a takedown here and then pop up. But it was at the time when BJ was special, you know, he, he could fight anyone. Do I think he would do do well against the top guys now? Uh, like you said, he would have been in, in trouble against Khabib. Khabib would have taken him down. Khabib would not have been submitted by him. You know, and at one time, you know, BJ's submission game was special. Everyone's kind of there now. And I'm not saying that they're as good as he is, you know, everybody, but when you're talking about good submission guys now, it's tough to pull off submissions against a lot of these guys, man. And Khabib himself, he's good. His submission game is freaking top notch. So I think if you're looking at top guys, BJ would would not have beaten uh, Nurmagomedov. That wouldn't have happened. Yeah, he, his jujitsu at the time, because of his special. ability, his dexterity, all those things was very special, and that's what made him so hard to take down for a lot <clears throat> for a lot of wrestlers. His balance, his flexibility was key. So I think that's what made him special back then. But then the control that Khabib has now, um, you know, and as well as Islam as well, like their style of sambo is just something that would oppose a lot of threats for him. You know, they, and the other thing as well is their conditioning, you know, especially Khabib's, his cardio is just something that he can wrestle all damn day. And not a lot of people can do that. And so his ability to, to wrestle his power, uh, BJ was someone that could deal with power. You know, he could take a shot to give a shot. Oh, he had a jaw. Yeah. And he possessed a lot of power in his own hands as well as, as a lot of fighters found out. So um, he, he was tricky. He was good. Um, but if I was to put them both in their prime, it, it, Khabib would have caused problems for him, but I'm not saying that Khabib couldn't have beat him, and I'm and I'm not saying that BJ couldn't have beat him. It would have been a great fight. Well, and you're looking. I mean, uh, BJ's record. I'm looking at it now. It's 16 and 14. Mm -hmm. But if if he moved that down, you're going to see all of his losses were at the end of his career. Yeah. You know, he had the one the first loss against Jens Pulver. He had a loss against Matt uh, Hughes at UFC 63. I remember, but. You know, most of him, you know, Lyoto Machida being the, you know, the, the heavyweight fight that he should never have done. But Well, he was weighing 190, and Lyoto was 220. Yeah. You know, so. Still. He should have fought him. <laughs> he, was a, he was a chubby one night. Yes, very, very chubby one night. <laughs> he was very happy, but he was chubby. Yeah. But um, the guys that, you know, all of his losses, when Frankie Edgar beat him, that was the start. You know, he, he beat Matt Hughes again, and it just he had loss after loss after loss after loss. It just went downhill from that point. So, hmm. but, all right. What else you got? Um, <clears throat> next one is also from uh, one that you picked out, Josh, and uh, this is from Andrew Looney, and he asks, "Hey, Double J's, I had a question in regards to Cowboy and what Josh was talking about with declining and sparring. Could it be possible that when sparring, Cowboy is usually going harder than his sparring partner? His partners are going at one level, and he's going uh." level higher more intense i don't mean to say his partners are taking it easy on him just wondering if this could be something that would skew how cowboy feels he doesn't train him versus what he's actually capable of in the octagon john i think i feel like we should we should take this question to our guest who i think is uh about to come on right now as well and would you like to introduce him 
Yeah, I would love to introduce him because I, I was uh, lucky enough that I did his uh, professional debut back at the Tachi Palace. Uh, I hated this guy because he was so goddamn good looking and stuff. But man, just turned into just talking about an me? incredible about fighter. Me? No, I'm not talking about you. That's the best part. <laughs> but uh, just turned into an incredible fighter and announced his retirement today. Mr. Alan Joban, just a great fighter and a great person and very happy to have him on the Weighing In podcast so we can talk about his career. So we are lucky enough to be in the presence of the man, Alan Jobain. You just retired. You had an incredible career, and you are sticking with the sport because you're doing an unbelievable job on the desk for the UFC, talking about fights, breaking fighters down. Welcome to the Weighing In podcast with me and Josh. Thank you, brother. Glad to be here, man. It's uh. It's been a uh, a weird day, man. Um, I say weird, but not a bad day at all. But announcing the retirement last night and then kind of um, kind of sleeping on it, you know, because I didn't want to get my head going with too much crazy stuff before I went to bed. But then I woke up this morning with it was like I had fought. Um, there were so many messages and so many kind words and uh, people reaching out that it's uh, it's been a uh, kind of a crazy day, but um, but but a good retirement day. It's nice for it to, for you, because you took some time between the last fight and now to make the decision. What was the deciding factor? I mean, I had from some of my own deciding factors. For me, it was a long layoff, you know, almost, I would say it was almost a year and a half before I finally announced my retirement. But it was just like that feeling of, it finally is here. You know what? I know what time has passed and it's just, it, I need to make the decision. And what was your deciding factor? It, it was a little bit like that, man. Um, it was, uh, I went into my last fight. I fought last year in late November. And at that point, before that fight, just a little backstory into it. Before that fight, you know, I had my 10th surgery or whatever. I did my ACL again. And at 38 or 37 when it happened, 38, 37 when it happened, to have another ACL surgery at that age coming off of, you know, I've had neck surgeries. I knew that my time was running short. And so when I finally got healthy after all these surgeries again at that age, I go, I told my coaches, I had a meeting and I said, look, this, this could be the last one. And so I want to treat this. I don't want to skip anything. I want to do everything the right way. And I need you guys to work with me. I'm not 25 year old Alan anymore. I'm 38, 39 year old Alan. Uh, and so I need you to, if you see me, my, I'm breaking down. My back is locking up. Like I can't do those sprawl days. I can't do these two and a half hour sessions. We just work with me. I want you to push me into deep waters but not break me down. I got to get to this fight healthy. So it was uh, probably the best camp of my entire life, to be honest. I, I'd never worked so hard and, and so diligently, and my coaches were so on top of my game. And so I had this amazing camp, and I got the win. And I was busted up, you know, had to make another hospital visit after the fight. And after that fight, I knew, I go, that was, that was so much. Like, um, I couldn't even imagine going through that camp again, much less the fight. And so months after that, I kept thinking, if I fight again, I at the most have one more. I have one more in me. That would be it. Um, and I let time go. Like you said, you let some time go by. And I kept telling people, uh, my manager in the UFC, I said, give me some time. I might have one more like fight in me against like a, a legend, like a Carlos Condon or a cowboy or something like that. I'm not going to go fight some young guy, but let me figure it out. And the more that I gave myself time, the more I came to the decision that 
I'm done. It's just my body, the injuries, things acting up again, my neck. I kept having to get uh, shots on my neck to um, um, epidural shots on my neck to get the inflammation down. And, and I go, if I, if I can't keep up in regular day-to-day stuff, I can't go through a grinding camp again. Um, and lastly, it was just, you know, working the desk, as you guys said, um, when you see these older fighters, on a weekly basis, um, you go out there and, 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 and I'm a fan of all these guys and they're not having a good night. And I'm sitting there in my desk, not fighting. And I'm thinking like, man, I, I don't want to go out there and I don't want to, I don't want to, and I don't say this in a negative way towards them, but I don't want to go out there and do this to myself that they're doing. They're still fighting. And, 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 uh, I feel like I can, I can go off on a win, which is rare. It's so rare, uh, in all my own terms. And, um, I've been leaning towards retiring, but to wrap it up, it was uh, the deciding factor was seeing all these guys in the UFC that I love to watch um, slowly their career coming to an end and me realizing I wanted to to make uh, the decision on my own. Well, the, the hardest part, I think, for a lot of fighters is, you know, your fight before that, I want to bring up bad news, but you fought and you lost to Dwight Grant. <laughs> but then the yeah. fight after that, you win. But to go out on a loss, it's hard for people to say, no, I want to go out on a win. But then when they win, no, I want to go one more because I can do it <laughs> still. Like, how hard of a decision is that, though, to make? Because on your loss with Dwight, were you thinking, okay, maybe that's it? Or what did that So, no. No. You're okay. absolutely right. You're spot on because that Dwight Grant fight, aside from, I, I, you know, I thought I got robbed. That, was so a that close was, fight. Right. That was, that kind of fueled me. I thought I was like, the decision went the wrong way, but I couldn't, you're right. I couldn't leave on that. I couldn't let that be the last. And, and like, it was a boring fight and I'm kind of, I'm not known for boring fights. And so to go out on a loss with a boring fight that irked me the most. And I, and so I knew hundred percent, I have to have his chance at redemption. Um, I would never have stopped my career. And so, I mean, it's actually, like, I'm thinking about it now. It's a great point because Coming off of a win is easier. It's easier to say, all right, I can go out on a victory, but you just have to push the money away, which is the tough thing because the more you win, as you guys know, the more you win, the more your pay scale goes up and the more your value is. And you go, I've worked my entire life, my entire career to get to this peaking pay scale. Why would I walk away now when now I'm worth more money than I ever was 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Why would I walk away now when now I'm getting paid the money that I wanted to do? But it was easier for me to say I got a victory, and 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 I reversed I reversed the thing the, the the negatives that was surrounding me, and it was easier for me to pass up the money, um, knowing that I could sleep better at night with a victory. John and Alan, you know how hard it is to say that I walked away from hundreds of thousands of dollars still left on my contract to this day. And if I went back, I'd be making that amount of money. And so what you're talking about is you, you worked so hard to get there. That's the hardest part. Like for me, it wasn't, it was the hardest part was walking away from the money, whether it was a loss or a win, I could care less, you know, because in the end of it, people remember for certain, they remember you for certain fights like Muhammad Ali. We don't remember the end of his career. We remember yeah. all the great fights. We were just talking about BJ Penn before we had you on. And it really just came out. We we're talking about all the great fights BJ Penn had. I don't remember the end of his career, you know? And mm-hmm. it's so that's the hardest part is how much money you leave on the table. Those are hard things to process in, pe- in people's minds. Their everyday life, like, hey, the, I could, if I fight out all the rest of these fights, I could pay the rest of my house off or I could buy another house and, and have an income through that. And how that's, that's, a, that's the most difficult part. It is. Um, trust me. I've, 
I've struggled with it because the UFC, they called me a few weeks ago when I was already in this back and forth process and they, and they, and they threw out a name for a last minute fight. And I told him, I said, it's so bad timing. I'm already thinking about retirement, but I'm moving as well. I'm moving in about a month. And so when you're in the middle of moving, it's just very stressful. I go, I can't do this right now. Um, but that little bit of, but thinking, but damn, I can go get paid right now. <laughs> and this will help. This is going to yeah. help that new house, right? It's going to help with a, a down payment. It's going to help with these bills. It's going to help get a new car. Um, it was there. It was definitely in the back of my mind. And I went and I did a two day camp to see how my body felt. And I felt horrible. I felt, I just felt like, man, that young guy, I used to push through adversity, but when you're older, it's not that you can't push through it. It's just that there's more adversity. Your body is not responding as quickly. So your mind is working harder to push it, to respond, but you're also, you're burned out in the head because you've, you've been burned so many times, you know how dangerous it is. And so and so many things I've been, I've been trying to wrap my head around like what it is when a fighter is losing it. And I can't point, I can't pinpoint one certain thing. It's not a, a specific one physical attribute. It's not specifically just the mind or, or the fear to commit. Like we saw Tyrone Woodley do for so long or kind of like cowboy last weekend. It's um, I feel like it's a combination of everything, just not working. It's an engine. It has to work all together. And, and when different parts are, are being jeopardized it's i don't have an answer to it i don't have an answer to it but i saw that happening to me where i wasn't the quickest guy that i was i saw my physical attributes starting to fade a little bit uh, and me sometimes being a little gun shy just because i'm smarter now as a fighter you know one of the things that i did your very first fight against Kyle yeah. 15 seconds got a knockout your next fight was against uh chidi Njikawani, and it was a tough fight but when you're looking at, I look at your last fight against Jared Gooden, who came out of another organization, you get the fight. And there were certain times in that fight where he started to take over. And then you would just like, you could see it in your, in just your body mechanics and everything. You knew that you were getting hit, but it was like, I've got to stay here and do my work. Were you seeing that there was a difference in you as that fighter where, I've got to take more risk and I've got to take more damage to get things done now than I did in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking on that fight, I had the first time I, that's the first time I brought my boxing coach and, and, and the, the thing that I always did, John was like, I would, I would get into these, uh, these Russian roulette, you know, these, I'll sit, you hurt me. And then I try to hurt you back. And one of us gets knocked out and, and that's what made fun fights. And uh, that's why I was an exciting fighter. But I lost a number of times because of that. You know, it hurt me. And so uh, there were moments in that fight where I got hurt um, and, I, and I sat, I bit down on my mouthpiece. And there were moments in that fight when I heard my, uh, my boxing coach go, defensively sound, defensively sound, telling me to get the hell out of there. Because he knew that whatever stage of my career, Alan Joban was about to start, where I just go, you know, my back's against the wall, fight or die. Uh, and so I would get out of there and recircle. And, you know, it's those reminders that coaches, you know, good coaches, they'll, uh, those little subtleties, you know, just like, don't get in a firefight, circle out, reset. And so I, I was battling that, which you're talking about throughout the entirety of that fight, man. Um, when a guy like Jared, my last opponent, could take shots and continue coming forward and I couldn't get him out of there. And then he would eventually get me. 
And I would have to think, do I, do, do I sink or do I swim or do I, what do I do right now? And so I was, um, I felt like I was walking, uh, a high wire that entire fight juggling that. We had a, a fan question, um, not specifically for you, it was mainly for John and I, but it touches exactly on this situation, but it had to do with Cowboy Cerrone, who you brought up earlier, and yeah. uh, podcast David here is going to read it off to you and just kind of make of it what you can, and I would like to hear your opinion, and John and I will touch on it as well, but I mainly wanted to talk to you about it because it has something to do with what you had just said, like, did you feel different in the gym? Did you, was there a point in your, in the gym or, you know, outside of training, did you start feeling like it is getting close to time? And so Dave's going to read this uh, fan question. So Andrea Looney asks, um, could it be possible that when sparring cowboy is usually going harder than his sparring partner, his partners are going at one level and he's going at another level, a higher level, more intense. I don't mean to say his partners are taking it easy on him. Just wondering if it could be something that would skew how cowboy feels in training versus what he's actually capable of in the octagon. Mm, that's interesting. Um, man, I wish, first of all, that I, I got to spar cowboy. I never did, man. I never made it over to the, the BMF ranch. So, um, that's one, uh, not so not, not so much specifically for cowboy, but I'm talking right. in general for like us older fighters. I said I was and just to give you a to preface this is that I told myself there was moments in my gym when I was sparring with guys like whether it was Khabib, whether it was Islam Makachev, whether it was other top guys and realizing that I was a step slower, that I wasn't able to do the things that I could do. And I just started seeing that guys that I used to have my way with that were younger, but now have gotten better and me getting older that the, the kind of the roles were changing and I've seen it throughout my career with other fighters. Was there moments like that for you? Not so much to talk on the cowboy thing. You know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot like that. I'd like to hear, was there moments like that for you where you just said like, you know what? I am not like as fast or I am getting hit when I'm not supposed to. And was that kind of the deciding factor for you? And how long ago was that? Yeah, no, it definitely was. I, uh, I'm 39 now. I think around like 37, 38 is when I felt some of the physical attributes starting to fade and oddly enough i felt like i was in my prime in 36 which um which which just shows the, the evolution of mma because um you look at other sports and you guys probably know all this stuff but you know pro football players the average nfl career is three years three years so they're, they're retiring 24 or something like that 24 they, they're not in their prime and you look at basketball players when they start losing their hops you know they can't even dunk or a goal anymore after after a certain amount of years but us mma fighters we get better over time in those 30s we get really good it takes a while because we're mastering our craft and we're getting to like pat militich used to always say our man body in our 30s and all that stuff but i started the sport late and so around 35 36 i felt like i was really starting to peak even though that used to be a retirement age 20 years ago and in, in mma um but it's shortly after that is when I felt the things you're talking about, where I used to bloody people's nose up in the gym. And now my nose is getting bloodied up by these young guys. And I used to be a quick guy. And, and that, that's another thing that I always thought about this. I was, a, I was an athletic guy. And I go, athletic, being athletic is a blessing and a curse because you use your athletics, right? You use your speed and you use these things that keep you on uh, your, uh, your balance. But when you get older, those things are the, one of the first things to go, your speed and, and all those things, that those attributes that you have. And I go, man, I'm really going to have to step up my technical game somewhere midway through my career because when those, when those elements of being the faster guy in every fight go away, what am I going to do? 
Um, and so that was something that I battled throughout my career, trying to always improve the technical aspect. But I felt that to answer your question, uh, about two years ago, I started feeling that decline. Um, and, um, and, and I felt that even though I won my last fight against Jared Gooden, um, I was doing everything possible to stay sharp. I felt like if I, if I let off the gas 1%, I was going to get knocked out. I felt like it was so hard to look that good. Cause I had people call me, Sean Shelby called me today. He's like, man, you looked, you still look competitive. And I wanted to explain to him, but it wasn't worth it. Like not in a mean way. Like it just, I, I just wanted to tell him like, that was the best me. That was the best me. That was the best 39 year old Island you will ever get. If I ever have an injury or COVID or something, and I have to go into a fight, you're not going to get that. That was the best I could possibly look. And knowing that, that that was the roof, the ceiling for me, it made me go, I won't get any better than that last fight. I'm only going to get worse. And that last fight was hard as hell to look that good um, or to, to, to win the fight is what I mean. Um, and so that kind of pushed me away. I think one of the things that when, when, especially with that question, the one thing about sparring, sparring is sparring and a fight is at a different speed. And you can have really good sparring sessions, but when you get into fight speed, there's nothing you can do if you're sparring and you are sparring, you know, at a speed that's kind of up for you, but not quite at your top, but you step into that cage and the speed is just magnified double. That, that's, I think that's what's happening with Cowboys. You know, the speed is a difference and, and it's just these little tiny, you know, little tiny percentages, you know, not, sometimes not even that full percentage, but that's the difference in you getting hit by a shot that you used to slip by or you being able to land a counter, now you're not landing it, and so then you're getting put in a bad situation. It's just part of age, and age sucks. Father time is undefeated, and that's what you're talking about with this fight, the, you know, your last fight against Gooden. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sparring has definitely changed for me too, though. Um, like, um, I definitely veer away from the harder sparring, um, but I try to mix it up. I mean, you it, it, I think of it a little bit like jujitsu. Like you go with the black belts, you go with the blue belts, you go with the grapplers to get that mix. And I try to do the same in sparring, but I'm definitely out of the um, out of the banging banging and sparring days. Those days are over. You know, trying to. I remember when I first got the black house. They uh, if, if you would get knocked out, they would give you your twenty dollar. Like people would pay twenty dollars to come spar if they weren't from there, and they give you money back. If you get knocked out, you get your money back. It was like a joke because people were getting knocked out. I couldn't even imagine going to a gym where people are knocking each other out anymore. Um, it, to me, I'm so far beyond that. I'm, I'm trying to work with somebody who's technically sound, but to your point, John, that has that UFC or, or Bellator or that high level experience where they know how can we fight competitive, real speed without, without getting injured. And that's what I'm always looking for. That perfect sparring partner that makes a realistic type fight, realistic type movements, realistic type decisions they're in training and we're staying safe and calm the entire time. And you know, having a bunch of those guys in the gym is, is not always easy. It's never easy. <laughs> it's never. No, <laughs> yeah. because, you, you know, knuckleheads. yeah, what it comes in too is like, it doesn't matter if you guys are friends. One person gets hit clean. The other person elevates their level and it just slowly yeah. trickles up. It's a trickle up effect of just elevation just starts going. And next thing you know, you guys are duking it out toe to toe. And it's like, man, how did this get this way? So it happens <laughs> all the time. But overall, though, like now that you've just announced your retirement and congratulations, I mean, it's a happy place. I got to tell you, I've been living it for a year or two and I love it. <laughs> 
but you're kind of taken off in the path similar to what I've done now, as well as working in the commentary um, area. And you've had a lot of success. You're amazing to listen to. And I love your, your breakdowns on the fights as well. But in terms of with the UFC, is this something that they that you will continue to do now with them for, for years to come, hopefully? or? Yeah, I'm hoping so, man. I mean, if I didn't have it, I might be still trying to fight. I mean, to, if I'm being honest, like I uh, went – I said I was almost out the door with this decision and then seeing the fights the last couple of weeks with Cowboy and Frankie Edgar and Orzlowski and Overeem, watching these guys that are like guys that I love and I see how it's going and I'm sitting there at the desk talking about it after and I'm like explaining what they maybe should or shouldn't do and I don't really have the right to speak about it, but I have to and I'm battling that same demon right now. What do I want to do? It, it really pushed me to want to do it. Um, but knowing that I have a job in commentary, that I could still do what I love and talk, you know, like I know fighting more than I know about anything in the world. So why would I start over? I want to stay and talk about what I know. Um, and so, yeah, I text my manager yesterday and then I text um, Zach Candido, the guy, uh, the guy that, you know, the producer at the UFC that books everybody. And I say, look, these are my thoughts, man. I really think it just came to me. I, th I think I feel like it's time. It's just I, I feel it. It, it never more than ever, I feel that it's my time to retire. Um, and I think I want to pull, you know, pull the trigger on this. What are your thoughts? And they all just said, you're good. And I said, this won't affect my commentary career or anything, correct? And they said, no, man, if anything, hopefully you get to focus more and hopefully more work. And for that, kind of having somewhat of a, a safety net of saying, look, I still get to uh, work with the UFC or work in fighting and, and, and have a, a, another source of income doing what I love. Let's do it. And then I went outside and, and, and sat there for a half hour trying to decipher, how do I write this text? You know, but, but that was the, um, the final push was talking to the people around me, managers and people like that, that booked me on these jobs and saying, go for it. Yeah, they'd be foolish not to continue to have you. I mean, like, not to mention, I mean, like John, like I said, brag about that you're a lot better looking than me. And then I, and <laughs> and now after seeing your jawline and that hairline, and I, I gotta say, John, I think John's right. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny because I do recall a lot of people would try to compare it. Like they it ran into me and said, you know, you look like Alan, and and Alan looks like you. And I was like, I started laughing. And I was like, oh, there's no way he's as good looking as me. And then I see you, on a, <laughs> I see you in a magazine or in a commercial or something. I was like, yeah. this dude is good looking. I'm like, I, I was jealous. You you posted a picture the other day, like, I don't know, two weeks ago, a month ago on your story. And I, I thought it was me. I swear. I, 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 and I was like, I thought this was me for a couple of seconds. I had to stare at it, man. It was a, it was a weird picture. Uh, a weird. So much. Yeah, a weird feeling, whatever. <laughs> it was a weird feeling. I get it. It was a weird feeling. Huh? It was a weird feeling. Yeah, I, I gotta oh, tell I'm you that man. I have never looked at a picture and thought, "Oh, I look like Alan or Josh." So <laughs> this, is, this is very true. Not with a name like Big John. I can't imagine. John. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got. I have a question for you as far as your career. What's the one fight that you look back and you said, "Man, that's the one that I really felt I performed to my best. I looked good. I felt good. All those things." Because I'm telling you, I think it's one of the fights that I did of yours where you landed an elbow on a guy named Richard Walsh. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was the loudest damn shot. It, I mean, and he just, you know, stunned, and then you opened up and I stopped the fight, but you were just, you couldn't miss in that fight. Oh, man, I appreciate that. That was a big one for me because that was the Staples Center, and 
driving the black house every day, I would drive by it. And, you know, you do those self affirmations and I would drive by every morning, 9 a.m. and go, I'm going to fight in the Staples Center. I'm going to win by knockout. I'm going to get interviewed by Joe Rogan because I had been interviewed by Joe Rogan at the time. Yeah. Right. And I was like, Joe Rogan's going to interview me in the Staples Center and, and all this. And uh, so be able to do that one. That was, uh, that was definitely a big fun one. Um, but if I had to, um, I, from my coaches, I get, I get this from my, from my coaches uh, praise is uh, the Mike Perry fight. Because at that time when I fought Mike Perry, he was still like, a bad man um he was undefeated like 10 and 0 10 knockout every every fight he went through he posterized somebody and so going into that fight we had some bad blood and i knew if i lose i'm gonna get knocked out and it's gonna be embarrassing i gotta win um and that was one of the few fights that i really listened to my coaches i didn't get into a, sh a shootout like i spoke about and i didn't get that hurt i i, I almost every fight i have uh, my eyes closed or a broken bone or like i just have had this pattern where I have to have a surgery after every fight. And that's why I couldn't fight as much as I wish I could have throughout my career. But the Mike Perry fight, the most dangerous guy that had fought at that time. And um, I fought him and I did good. And I, and, and, and I, I wasn't hurt at all. And I just remember like going out and I didn't have a black eye or wasn't on crutches. And um, my coaches were just like, can you do this every time? Can you hit and not get hit? Don't you, you think out. I would like to? You know what I mean? It's like they, they were so pleased. And because of that, um, I would say that one. They always refer to that one. Do what you did to Mike Perry, Alan. Do what you did to Mike Perry. Don't stand flat-footed. Hands up. Angle out. Those subtleties. Yep. They always remind me of that one. So, yeah, that was one, man. That was a good one that kind of elevated how my thought process of, oh, it doesn't have to be a war in every single fight. Well, let me take the flip side of that, though. Is there one fight that throughout your career you wish you could get back? Oh man, um, probably the um, the. Uh... Oh, that's a that's a that's a tricky one, Josh. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Dwight Grant one, I was not happy about. Uh, I just thought it was a boring fight, and I thought he he evaded me for 15 minutes, and somehow they, he got the decision. But um, uh, Albert Tumanoff, man, Albert Tumanoff was a Russian guy that was a killer, He's and he was dumb. the only guy that really kind of dropped me in my career. Where or not dropped, but like, I guess it was the first time I was like TKO'd from a headshot. Chitty hit me in the liver. That was my first ever loss. But um, yeah, Albert Tumanoff hit like a truck, man. And um, I didn't remember that fight. Uh, I mean, I didn't remember what happened. That was the first time I've been, uh, I guess, knocked out on my feet. I wasn't unconscious. I was still trying to fight, but they stopped it. But what I remember was being in the ambulance uh, with my manager and looking up and going, uh, I go, what happened? Did I win? And he goes, and he looked at me like shocked. And he goes, you don't know what happened? I go, no. And I got the worst feeling in my chest. It was like, you got balls to the wall drunk and made a fool out of yourself. And like, I didn't know. I was like, I was like, did I, did I shit my pants? Did I, was I knocked out? Did they cart? You don't know, you know, like when, yeah. when 45 minutes of your life is just gone or blank, you don't remember it. And somebody's about to tell you it's the scariest thing in my life. In your life. And so, um, I was so scared. He goes, you got knocked out. It wasn't that bad. I was like, I didn't look bad. They look funny. Like were they showing highlights? He goes, no, it wasn't horrible. You were just kind of drunk walking. Um, and that's one that, God, that was, that, that stung to like have to go back and watch it. You know what I mean? And so I think about that all the time, man. Like if you're a guy like a DC or a Michael Bisbing who fought all these champions and they work every pay-per-view card and they have to watch themselves <sighs> knocked out by John Jones. Bisbing has to watch, Kelvin Gaslam knock him yep. out in China every time. You know what I mean? 
I'm like, God, these guys have a good poker face because um, it's tough. It's tough to see that over and over. Eventually, I would assume you get numb to it. But uh, deep down inside, I feel like we all hide it. Like, like I'm, I've seen it. I'm good with it. But it still stings inside, and we're just covering it up. What um, like when it comes down to like look, you, we were talking about Cowboy Cerrone, and we're talking about like with even with Diego Sanchez. When when do you feel like when is enough enough? You know, it's it's like like we all love watching Cowboy fight, and I I'm I'm, I'm all for him having his fight, his next fight at, at lightweight, giving mm-hmm. him another run. And John and I were just talking about the fact that you know. I think Dana's doing him a solid. Give him one more opportunity. He's someone that's always said yes. He's always came out and tried to do his best. He's always he's jeopardized even ch- chances at winning titles, you know, for for short notice fights to make the company happy. You know, Diego was the first Ultimate Fighter winner and and so on, you know, and how things ended there is just we, we won't get into too much. I don't want to put yeah. it on the spot, but I really would just be like, hey, but it is it is a long time coming though, where the generation like yourself, even myself, and in the cowboy generation, and and so on, when is enough enough? Like when when do you when do you visually start saying to yourself that is the money worth it? Because we've both left a ton of money on the table, and mm-hmm. I know that these guys were making good money, but when is enough enough? You've got to see it in the mirror. And how do you go about telling yourself? And that's I feel like this conversation needs to be had with all of these guys. When you start hitting 36, 37, 38, and I, I brought up Tony Ferguson. He's a stud. There's no doubt about it. You know, um, he's coming off two big losses, and you're not really ever the same after those kind of losses. You're you, you like John said, you leave a portion of your body, you leave a portion of yourself in the cage every time you fight. But when you have fights like that, you leave a little bit more of yourself. And what we're, what are we going to see moving forward? And when is enough enough? Yeah, it's it's. I feel like such a tough question, right? And for each individual, and, and and you have to look at the history with the organization, like you said, Dana White and the entire organization want to do Cowboy a solid, um, and they want him to get that win. What, what I'm happy about is that I feel like there is an answer to this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for Cowboy knowing I got to retire. Uh, a couple fights ago, he was still saying, I want to fight five more years and all this stuff. And it was Cowboy still being a gunslinger. And it was like, man, we love you, Cowboy, but five more years. And like the the, the people that you're fighting are very dangerous. They're not, they're not entry-level UFC fighters. Um, after these losses, he's, he's, he's five, five losses in one draw in a six fight, something like that. It's, it's, it's tough. It's probably the most uh, red-sided streak we've seen anybody continue to still be in the ufc you know um but i like the fact that he knows i just have to win so i can sleep at night that's kind of how i was i was like i can't sleep with this loss and i feel like cowboy is now saying i will retire he didn't say it i'm not putting words in his mouth but i feel like him saying i need one more fight i need to go to 55 improve myself i feel like that's him telling us i get this win I'm going to get on my horse and ride off into the sunset. Dana, don't worry about it, but I need this win. I can't live with my legacy being this way. And so I appreciate that, that he knows that now he's in my position. He's 38. And that's what I was thinking a year ago. I got to get this loss off of my record. I want people to remember me this way. The money's tough because Cowboy's a guy that gets, makes good money, has good sponsorships, and he fights five times a year. Or used to. So to go from making X amount to not making it is tough. But Cowboy's done well for himself. 
the people like Diego Sanchez, which is, uh, I mean, he's not even in the UFC anymore, but he's a guy that you saw drastic declines in his, in, 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 in his style and just the way he moved. Like you watched some vintage Diego when he was throwing switch knees and flying knees like Diego, he's not that athletic of a guy. And he's a guy that he needed, he needed some good advice earlier than cowboy earlier than me earlier than all of us. And instead he got that other guy, <laughs> the worst <laughs> advice. So, but yeah, he needed it before all of us because his, his digression, if that's a word, was uh, faster and more rapid than most of us other fighters. Do you believe that the promotion itself has some responsibility in saying enough's enough? Yeah, I mean, um, that's why I was alluding to, like, it depends who it is, because I think if, if Cowboy, I mean, I, I keep going to Cowboy because he's one of the most beloved fighters, and, and, and I mean, you could argue, if I'm wrong, but like in UFC history, he's one of the most Absolutely. beloved. Um, Absolutely. And so he's, he's, he's walked in there as many times, him and Jim Miller. They, yeah. they both have walked in that cage more than anybody else. More so than anybody. That's pretty, and, and that's all pretty the impressive. Records, and then you think about all the WEC fights he had on top of that. All that. And the wins. The, I mean, he's got all those records, but I feel like the UFC is treading lightly because he's so beloved and um, he's done so much. Um, I don't know. I mean, hypothetically speaking, if if he lost this next fight at 55, I think they would say, that's it. We're sorry. Yeah. We love you. They would do it in a way. We love you, Cowboy, but we can't like you take damage anymore. If he won, I feel like they would still say it. Like, this has got to be it. I, I don't think, I don't think, that, but I, I feel like if he won that he would probably step away. I think, he, I think he knows better now. I feel it. You talked to, you talked about that, that red that he's got, all those reds. The, the guy that I can think about that matches it is BJ Ooh. Penn. BJ oh, Penn. BJ. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think, cause I remember like yeah. Dan Hardy goes fights GSP and then loses four in a row. And then I think he came back and won a couple. But he, won and, on, um, he won at the end. Yeah. He won it, at the his, end, right? His last fight was against, uh, was it bang? Was it Dwayne? I want to say it was Samira, Samira Dalla. He got a win. Oh, wow. Look at so, that memory. I don't, I don't even yeah. Exactly. Um, Thank you. That's, you know what I deal with every This is what Josh has to deal with. Oh, oh, does John like no? John doesn't forget shit. Yeah. Oh no. UFC uh, 21, Bellator. Oh, okay. Like three. Yeah, not me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I forget everybody's name. I'm I'm doing good so far. I forget everything. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, but B, BJ BJ's another one. You're right. BJ goes from a very beloved fighter, a former champion, all these things, to a guy that they just like step away and um. I don't even know what his current situation is. I couldn't imagine that they would ever let him fight again. Um, um, yeah, that would be that would be sad to see. I wouldn't want to see it. Well, I, I guess now that we've talked about your career, we've talked about your retirement, but the one thing that we need to address because this is the most important part, how does your wife feel about it? <laughs> she, you know, it's funny. She, um, I was calling her on the way home from the gym. I just got done teaching class, and um, I told her, I said, uh, I was talking about retirement because it's still sinking in. And I think I pulled, I strained, I strained my calf teaching class. And uh, I called, I go, babe, you're not going to lose. Like I retired. And then I think I just strained my calf. I showed a kick and I didn't warm up and uh, pulled my damn calf. Like I'm limping. And um, I was like, but you know what? I used to stress out because I'm like, damn it. Now I got to take two sessions off and whoever's fighting me is getting better than me. And it, it, the weight was always on you. Uh, and I go, but you know what, I, what I thought about right away, I was telling her this, I said, I just want to stay healthy. 
uh, I'm not going to train for the next couple of days because I just want to stay healthy enough so that when we move, I can move everything and do all the fix all the things and hang the chandeliers and do all the work around the house. I don't want to be on crutches or something. And she goes, uh, oh, I love you retired. Uh, you, you're so much like not stressed out and stuff. And I realized that I'm like, yeah, as fighters, we have this, um, this pressure to always be at the top of a game and always get 1% better every day. And it's such a, a, a load to, to bear every day, especially if an injury comes or something happens. And so, um, yeah, man, it's, um, I'm so, I'm so new into being retired, but, uh, it's, I could see my wife is happy and little things like this, little setbacks that might've stressed me out before won't be as bad anymore. One thing I wanted to bring up to you is John and I, uh, were in a commission meeting today and I wanted to get your take on it and get a feel for what your thoughts were is California is talking about implementing a retirement fund for MMA athletes. They already have one for boxers. Uh, obviously you and I would not be privy to it cause we are, <laughs> we are older now, and, but I, I did I, use you. I used you as, a, as an example for it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yes. John did use it today during the commission meeting. And so we, um, you know, I gave my feed into it exactly on, on my thoughts of it, but Basically, I think what they're – this is all just a rough draft is what they're trying to do is if you fought a certain amount – this is only for California, not for the nation. Obviously, if California mm -hmm. gets to start it, maybe some of the other states will jump on board and start doing it as well for their state. Each state, it will be individually run um, for the fund. But it really comes down to if you fight a certain amount of rounds in their state, then if you hit a certain marker, then you'll be um, – you'll be – what is the word I'm looking for, John? Bested. Invested into that into that fund. So when you are done fighting your amount of rounds in that, the, whatever their requirement is, let's just say it's thirty rounds, you know, in, in that state, then you can go ahead and collect like a pension at the end, you know, and they just write you one check and one lump sum of saying, hey, so like you retired. Now you're saying like within say a couple of years, say, Hey, I want to collect my retirement fund. And they pay you depending on, they're still trying to work out the kinks on when it will be, what age, you know, that kind of stuff is that once you're done, if you wanted to get into being a plumber, if you wanted to get into doing something else, cause you're 38, 39, you know, and you still have plenty, you have another life to live after fighting. And I've said this multiple times, fighters, you fight for 40, but what happens if you live to your 80, what are you going to do financially for money until you're 80? And so that being said, does, do, you know, they give you the money, you know, a couple of years after or five to 10 years or, you know, 15 years after. So you can go ahead and take a, a course to be a plumber, an electrician or to become a police officer, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to do. What's your take on something like that in terms of a, a retirement fund or, you know, even to help pay for insurance for medical issues later on? Because fighters, you know, they're independent contractors. And so how do they pay for their insurance if they don't have a steady job that does that for them after they're done? Man, uh, first of all, I was trying not to, like, smile ear to ear while you're saying that just because I'm like, that's so new to me. You know, like, I couldn't even imagine that uh, a pension, a retirement fund. Fighting, fighting is such a short-lived career. And, and, and you guys know that, like, the, the, the mark to make it into that 1% as a fighter it's, it's so small, man. It's, I mean, to the guys that go pro, the guys that go on a, a next level, the guys that make it to the UFC, Bellator, the big show, the guys that even after they make it to the big show, they're not working a part-time job, or whatever. Like so many people are still, uh, you know, doing stuff. Um, and to have that, it, it would be, it would be amazing. I, I couldn't, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, to be honest, because I, I've always thought about like the broadcasting thing, 
what you're doing, Josh, and, and what I'm getting into now, because I was like, I need that backup. Because when I come out of fighting, I want to still be working. I want to still be busy. I want to still be involved in a sport. Majority, 99.9% .9 of fighters don't have that. And a lot of these fighters, unless you're making it to the pay-per-view or the championship type money, they're going back and having to find a new job or be a trainer. And it, it's sad, man. Uh, I, the thing that I always hated the most is like you go to Thailand and you'll go to some hole in the wall gym and some, some guy will hold pads for you. And they go, that guy's a Lumpany champion, man. He's a four-time Lumpany champion or this or that. But he's still got a whole pads and he sleeps in the back of the gym in a bunk bed and his kids are there. Um, and he's still trying to support himself. And there's so many fighters that um, didn't make it to the level of success financially as well with the other accolades of winning fights and belts that need that kind of stuff. So yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even well, imagine uh, California doing that. Well, the California commission was like, Hey, look, it's not life altering money, but then they also were talking about like they have written just recently checks for fighters that have fought multiple times, you know, over say 30 rounds in there in, in California, which in boxing, in boxing. Yeah. This was for boxing. Wow. Yeah. No, that <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so in that case, it was, it was, you know, 30, 30 rounds of boxing in boxing, but they were talking about some of the checks that they've had to, to write have been all the, you know, over 150 to $160,000. And that being said, that's not, they said like, it's not a, enough to change lives. I'm sorry, but $160,000 is enough to at least get me on track to whatever it is I'm trying to do, pay my rent, you know, pay my insurance and those type of things. So to think that that is a possibility for the state of California to even start is just absolutely amazing. And I, I was like, I was telling John and with all the commissioners there to, uh, today that I was just, and even some promoters were there as well. I was just, I don't want to say flabbergasted, but I was absolutely just stunned. The fact that we were having this conversation because we are now in that age right now where we're in the mark of, we've been in this sport for what now, John, 28 years. Come on, give me the, yep. the, the story, memory that you <laughs> 28 years. Now we're seeing the effects of the fighters from the beginning of the era, where they're at mentally, how are they doing physically, you know, um, do they need medical help in terms of, you know, f damages? Let's just say, you know, Spencer Fisher being one of them. Uh, um, yeah. And then what's uh, Tim Sylvia with the forearm, you know, where he broke his forearm against Tim, mm -hmm. uh, Frank Mir. Frank Mir. Problems with the plate, you know, doesn't can't afford to get it taken out. There's, there's those type of things that I think is with that amount of money, whether even if it's only say 35, 40 grand, it's enough to get them started maybe in something that they had wanted to do or help pay their insurance so they can get these things resolved at a later date, say five to six years down the line. I've only been retired, I think for, when did I retire podcast, Dave? February 2017. See, February 2017. <laughs> Great memory. Wow. Gotta ask somebody else. But, That's always good. but the thing is, I didn't start noticing any injuries till about this year. I started waking up, you know, like my knees were hurting me a little bit. Ankles, wrists are for sure hurting me, you know, but I never had these type of, I had aches and pains. We all do, you know that, but I never had the injuries where like now I woke up the other thing like, uh, a couple of weeks ago and my knee's been bugging me ever since and I can't get it to go away. You know, it's like I, I roll it, stretch it, do all the things, you know, and all this, the physical therapy stuff I was taught over the years, and it hasn't been getting better. So these are just injuries that you didn't realize you had throughout training because you had built up all the muscles around it. But now years later, if I was able to have the insurance, which I have insurance, but some of these fighters don't, they mm -hmm. can go ahead and get these things treated five, 10 or eight, you know, 20 years later, you know, and I feel like that's such a big deal for a lot of these fighters that may not have 
to, to speak frankly, a pot to piss in in 10, 15 yeah. years. And you know, what's crazy is that like, um, I, for me, like, I don't know anything about it. Right. Because a lot of fighters, we don't, we don't expect it almost because we don't know about it. We're not educated on it. I'm not educated on it. And so we just know, like, you got to go in and you get an opportunity and you fight your balls off and you try to win and make money and do what you can, because I couldn't even imagine these type of things that, that a lot of, uh, you know, other basketball, you know, unions and all this other stuff that you're talking about that they do have, and that, that hopefully is coming one day. But um, for me, you guys are more educated on it. For me, it's just like, how amazing would that be for everyone that needs it so bad? Let me, let me ask you this, because the reason I used you as an example during their meeting mm -hmm. was, you know, you came from Louisiana, but you started your fighting career in California. And Correct, I don't know yeah. if you realize it, but what when they talk about rounds, if you have a three-round fight, your fight against Kyle Griffin, it was 15 seconds, but it was a scheduled three-round fight. So that's oh, okay. three rounds that goes on to your record as he's completed three rounds in the state of California. <laughs> oh, thank now, God on that one. <laughs> well, your career is exactly 30 rounds in the state of California. Wow. So you, so you would have been just vested. Do you think that it needs to be at that level or should it be a little bit less or a little bit more? Mm, that's interesting. Well, I'd have to dig into now you got me thinking like how many times did it fight in California, right? Because some guys have a much longer uh, regional career um, yep. or local career. Um, whereas I fought more fights in the UFC, I think, than I did not in the UFC. So uh, a lot of them probably weren't in California. So um, with that said, if I still was able to fight, I probably had an average number of fight career. I have like 25 fights or something, you know, professionals. That's probably, I guess, an average number. Uh, and so if, if I have an average number of fights and more than half of those were not in California and I still made enough rounds, as you're saying, to be vested in, then, I, yeah, I think that's a pretty a pretty good starting point, at least, to start from. Okay. Good yeah. to know I, I get in. I appreciate you doing the math on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works out good. Because God knows I'm not good at math. So since we're twins, <laughs> I know you're probably not good at math. So I mean, really, we let John do all the big thinking in this neighborhood. Um, I mean, that that was kind of my take on it. Because I did when we we got in the conversation with the commissioner, the commissions today, I was talking to them basically about that. I was thinking just bigger promotions, whether it was Bellator, PFL, UFC, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's for fighters that had fought in the WC back when it was like in Lemoore. If it was commissioned by the commission, you'd be vested. You know, those rounds would count towards you being invested into it for your 30 rounds or your however many fights or whatever it was. So um, that being said, like your king of the cage, you know, people that never really make it to the big shows, but they still are going to be included into that. So what they're what what they are proposing is cuz what it is for boxing now I think it's 88 cents a ticket is what it was I think. Yep. Goes towards um goes towards uh basically like uh towards the vested the fighters for, fighters fund. For the fighters fund. So that fighters fund 88 cents a ticket for an MMA event will go towards that fighters fund. So if you fight in California it has a, it has a maximum you know, and if it goes to, if, it, if as long as it's commissioned by the state of California, like if you're on an Indian reservation, there's no commission, it wouldn't count. So that, gotcha. yeah. that just encourages fighters to make sure that they're fighting with the commission event. I mean, it's also safer that way as well as, as on a sanctioned event. And then, so let's, you're saying if, if this were to pass and go through and starting whatever date that would be moving forward, every time a commission sanctioned event in California would take place, 2000 tickets for soul, 88 cents per ticket. 
of that would go into this fund and then they would start distributing that cash eventually, I guess, after people were retiring. Yeah. Um, but people like me are be pre it being passed would not be uh grandfathered in, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> I mean, you, and, uh, you and Josh are gonna have to make it on your looks. We're gonna, yeah, we have to make it uh, yeah, on your looks and some commentary. Well, I mean, it's fine because I didn't expect this anyway. It's like somebody exactly. saying, you know, you, you're going to win the lottery. Um, but, and I'm not saying that's the right mindset to have, but I just feel like as fighters, we're so uh, just used to this. Like, this is an opportunity we have to fight. I mean, that's just a fighter's mindset, right? Just going and doing whatever they're told and getting it done. Um, so to have something backing them finally, um, man, what a, I, I feel like we're going to look back in 20 years and be like, you kids have no idea. I mean, fighting is going to be all over every television and, and the sponsorships are going to be up and they're going to have these unions and be like, yeah, you have no idea. We were walking two miles in the snow to get to school kind of stories because we were fighting for nothing back then. Yeah. These kids are going to be making millions of dollars and, and hopefully, I really hope so, uh, in the years to come. They're already making millions. Who are we kidding, buddy? Like, yeah, on. yeah. Well, I mean, the lower, yeah, the lower yeah. scale, the lower scale guys, the guys that are starting at the 10 and 10s, hopefully that's a lot more than that. John? Well, my last thing is I want to tell you, throughout your career, you've been an outstanding competitor. Thank you for everything that you did in the sport. And I know you have done a great job with the desk. You're going to continue on and be fantastic. I love your breakdown of fights. So in your retirement, Alan, the best of luck. Have a great one and continue on with what you're doing. You're going to be a fantastic commentator. Thank you, John. I appreciate it, brother. Lastly, what I'm going to say is um, I follow you on Instagram. That's how we actually linked up today. I, I saw yeah. that's your retirement, and I wanted to wish you the very best. But uh, what I do admire you the most about, whether it's your fight career, whether it's your commentary, is the way you are with your son and your wife. I think it's absolutely amazing. All the stuff that you post, all the positive energy you spread. To me, I feel like there's just not enough positivity going around right now in the world, especially on social media. And uh, I thank you a lot for that. And actually, sometimes when I'm, you know, going through my day, I'm thinking to myself, man, I wonder what he's doing. So I, you know, <laughs> I occasionally check it out, man. I honestly, it's it's great to be around people that are extremely positive. And, and I just want to wish you the very best throughout whatever it is you do, you know, after fighting and good luck. Thank you, brother. And, and I guess I'll say, uh, you guys aren't so bad either, man. You guys aren't so bad either. <laughs> My no, man, thank you, fellas. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we got to catch up soon again. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love to come on anytime. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Alan. All right. My pleasure, man. Y'all take care. Well, we would like to thank Alan Jobon for coming on our show. He has been an outstanding fighter. He is going to be a fantastic uh, addition because someday he's going to be sitting at that table. He's not going to only be in the studio at the desk. He's also going to be giving commentary on those fights because he's that good with it. And you know what, Josh, I hate to tell you, man, he gives you a run in the look department. So you're in trouble with that part. He's also younger. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> oh, look at someone's younger than you. I love it. <laughs> oh man. I'm usually the youngest in the, in the Bellator uh, production team. So you're always the youngest. I hate you. For Actually. That. No, Jen's younger than me. Well, that's true. But I really can't compare her looks cause she's way better looking than me. So. <laughs> According to me, she is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, look, uh, look, it was it was fabulous. I'm glad that we got a chance to talk to him because it came right at the right time of us having these conversations. Not and look, and I know we brought up a lot about the Diego and the Cowboy, and but you know, there's a lot of fighters that we got to talk about. He brought up Overeem and you know and Arlovsky and some other fighters as well. And so there's a lot of fighters that we that 
that we have sh- we could talk we could touch on as well so but look it was a pleasure having him on he's amazing and uh I hate that it's so competitive the fact that he is better looking than me God. <laughs> uh also but uh, be- before we go pro wrestlingtees.com slash wayne in use the promo code and still you get another 20 percent off pick up our Memo- memorial day shirt that's a good looking shirt it's a limited edition it's bomb Dave did a great job designing it. I want to thank him for that. And I don't like to give thanks too much to Podcast Dave because he lets it go to his head. I got to grease the door so he can get his ears through the door. And it's just, it's all <laughs> it's all bad. But ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne in. And uh, he's going to put up a picture of this new Memorial Day um, shirt. And so pick that up with that promo code Wayne in. 20% off. Also, hit the subscribe button on our YouTube, our SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all all those all those platforms, especially the audio platforms cuz now a lot of you guys are going back to work. Listen to us in your cars. Hit the subscribe button on your audio platforms. We're on Spotify as well and iTunes. So hit that as well. Those are our biggest uh, views right now, but we're trying to build up all up. So go there on the YouTube. Hit the little bell on the bottom right corner. That will also send the notifications out. We want to thank you guys for listening to our show and I know John Always has to have the last word. Go right ahead. I always don't have to have the last word. I just get the last word. So for everyone out there, we will see you.